Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor Kara. Marler, I hope people liked a little bit of a surprise. I know we said that we were doing It Just Meant More 2001 Tennessee against Florida Spurrier's last game in the Swamp, but we didn't say when it was going to come out. Hopefully everybody got to their got to their you know inbox on Sunday morning or Monday morning, whatever yeah. it was. Whenever they get all their podcasts, they saw that and they were able to listen. And I hope the Florida fans did not just automatically skip over that. I know it's painful, but I think we, yeah. we hopefully didn't re- make them relive so much pain as we did a, a fond memory. That was my goal with that. Yeah. I mean, they've won two more national championships since then. But no, that's a good point. And like, honestly, shout out to all of our listeners. That was one of the most surprising things I think it's ever happened since we've been doing the show because we put that up on Saturday night, Sunday morning. Sunday at which midnight. It's not an ideal time for yeah. podcasts. And it was up like at, yeah, at midnight. And when I got up at like 8 the next morning, it already had 2,000 listens. So it was impressive. It's a good sign. That's a good sign. And a lot of you guys weren't sleeping. Like I said, I, I think that for those who aren't Tennessee fans or Florida fans, I think you'll still get a kick out of this. Some of the, the big picture stuff, the way that it impacted the SEC and college football at large. I think it's worth a listen. So I wanted to, I wanted yeah. to lead with that just because we put a lot of time and effort into being able to do those. We want to come out with at least one of those per month. And that new intro song, I'm digging it. I'm digging the new yeah, intro it was, song. it was good. I liked yeah. it too. Um, it was a good job by Will. Um, so we have a lot to get to today. We just recorded an interview with Ty Richardson, who knows all things Arkansas. He is our good buddy with ESPN Arkansas, does good stuff on the radio. He's done stuff for SDS in the past. We've got, of course, combine stuff that we're going to get to. We're going to talk a little bit of SEC hoops as well with Kentucky clinching the regular season title and talk about whether or not they can make a run in March. But before we get to all of that, Marler. Got some new friends over at Bet Online. Uh, yeah, we do. So, guys, uh, we we do have some new friends, as Connor just said, over at Bet Online. Uh, you guys know Uncle Chris loves to gamble. It's one of my favorite pastimes, and it's not just during football season. You can gamble on literally anything. Trust me, I've done it. Um, this it's about to be March Madness. I know that going into the actual uh, bracket season, it's a lot of fun to you know put in like ten, twenty bucks into like a, an office pool or whatever. But the best advice I could give you, build a bankroll now, dude. Build a bankroll now before it's even time for March Madness and get started ahead uh, of the curve. So go to betonline.ag. Uh, it's a fantastic website. They have live game betting. They have uh, future betting. They have tons of different things like that. You could bet on politics, Connor. We don't like to talk politics. I'd love to bet on it. Oops. Say that. Um, so go to betonline.ag today. Like I said, they'll give you a 50% bonus as soon as you sign up. It's fantastic. It's super easy. Uh, it's probably one of the easiest uh, betting sites I've ever used to sign up for, and I wish I didn't say that plural, but <laughs> I'm glad they're my new number one. Uh, so y'all check them out. It should be a lot of fun. And also, uh, I would be remiss to say, if I didn't mention that Saturday we had our first Facebook Live sponsored by BetOnline, going over Uncle Chris's best basketball picks. And I know that football season... You know, it's hot and cold sometimes. Um, I went 6-2 and two in basketball picks on, on Saturday in the SEC. Started out 0-2, by the way. Which one did you get wrong? Uh, so the one I was most confident in, I uh, said Florida. It was like the first two games of the day. I said Florida would win the first half. Was it minus one? Um, Florida minus one? It was, it was a pick in the first half. Gotcha. Uh, and it, it wasn't my most confident pick, but I, I said Florida in the first half and then A&M to cover 11 at, uh, at LSU. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other one, I got, I got everything else right, man. South Carolina, plus five and a half. I had Georgia and the over. 
That was beautiful. I hit two parlays on that. So not how you start, how you finish. Great person once said that. Let's talk combine. We've got guys who, in my opinion, help themselves going into the NFL draft. We've got guys who I I think hurt themselves. I don't like calling it. I realize that kind of seeing the way that it was written out, I don't like calling it winners and losers anymore. There's something about it that just feels kind of wrong. I hate calling kids who have been working their tails off to try and like, this is the biggest job interview of their lives, of their lives, and calling them losers afterwards. It just doesn't sit right when I'm literally like sitting at home watching them on on TV that just like a loser like a loser exactly I'm the loser in all this but there are definitely guys who helped and hurt themselves in Indianapolis over the weekend you were all over all things combine you had our graphics that were tweeted out constantly you were cranking those out I mean it was you were I'll tell you what man that whole I appreciate that because it was never ending for one and on top of that like it's just the combine's always a lot of fun it wasn't as fun as last year's combine like there wasn't as many one, there weren't as many viral moments. Like the DJ or DK Metcalf thing last year. Yeah. Like I mean, I remember I put so much stock and effort into this week, just to just to be fully honest, because last year we gained like a thousand followers on Instagram just from that week because there were so many big SEC stories. And this year it was just kinda like, eh, wasn't that much going on. But I tell you what, them doing it in prime time was my least favorite thing they've done in, in forever. It do, was, I wish they would go back to the morning. Do you want to talk about that now? Um, I was going to talk winners, uh, you know, not winners and losers, guys who help, guys who hurt the, their draft stocks. Do you want to talk about the primetime thing? Because I think it's a it's a fair point to, to bring up because there are a lot of people who, uh, within the combine, the in terms of media, in terms of you know the trainers, the coaches, and the athletes themselves, who were very frustrated, frustrated by the yeah. entire setup. The fact that it was from four to eleven during the day and at night, instead of just being this all-day thing that we've come to know it as. And I, I think obviously, like everybody knows, this was done because they want more viewers and they want it to be more right. of a national audience. And I get that. And it's the time of year that they can try and take advantage of that before March Madness really gets going and all that. But the problem and why the athletes are so frustrated with it is because it kind of flips their entire schedule and as a result you have i think there were a lot more of these you know big time injuries. guys yeah we had we had injuries and we had guys that were sitting out to avoid injuries altogether joe burrow mm-hmm. and chase young didn't even compete at the combine and i'm not necessarily blaming them but i can't help but wonder if this whole thing was kind of part of it and flipping the timeline of all this so i don't know if if it being at night was like a reason those two didn't participate or if a lot because there's a lot of people that didn't participate in general mm-hmm. i don't know if that factored into it but I guarantee you it will in the future. I don't I don't know if it did this year, but in the future it definitely will because when you're talking about you're 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 doing like bench press, then you're doing interviews, and then you're waiting three to four hours before you run and you're just kind of standing around getting cold, like this like what are you doing? And and it was I was frustrated because like I get you're a lot better at like researching like efficiently on how to get stuff. Like I it was one of the most unorganized events of trying to find like the actual schedule of what's going on. I'm like, okay, this is where this, just put a list up of when everyone's going to actually run because the, the, you know, they started on Thursday and it starts at four o'clock in the afternoon. It just says from four to 11. And you know, if you have it earlier in the day, I, I loved it when it was like nine to 2 PM because you're into, you're going to show the replay of it at night anyway. And no one's like, watching the combine for seven hours if they don't have to do it for work that's true that's actually a really good point you can consume it online i'll be i'll be honest i'm not sitting there yeah, watching give me the numbers seven hours just give me give me the numbers i can follow along on twitter if somebody has a really good 40 time i'm going to be able to see it on twitter just like that i can right. see the video i don't need to just be sitting there watching all of this happen so kind of Agreed. a weird move on, on that front and it upset definitely a lot of the prospects because 
like I said, their, their timeline is flipped. Like these IMG kids, when they're training, and there's a lot of first-round guys in this group. Yeah. And if you are just kind of wondering what the training schedule looks like, so for IMG, their typical day, breakfast 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. They warm up at 7.45 to 8. They do football-specific drills from 8 to 9 a.m. Lateral speed training from 9 to 9.45. They do treatment and stuff basically from 10.15 to 11.15, have lunch after that. Then they lift right after lunch, and then they do football, film, slash classroom stuff yeah. at 3.15 to 4.15, and then they have treatment and recovery to 4.30 to 5.30. I'm saying all this because basically the entire thing is over by the time that they're Structured. supposed to be starting all this. And well, that's, that's true, too. They like they like the structure of, of what a lot of their schedules are, and if they're having to completely flip that, you're not going to get you know these these kids who are wa- and these these trainers who are wanting to train them at that specific time of day. And you talk about when your body is going to be at your peak and why this stuff matters yeah. is because every little bit, every little bit, matters every little bit combine. And when you're being evaluated and scrutinized that closely, I get it from that perspective. No, I, I, honestly, kind of, kind of, that's a really good point because I didn't even think about like the time part of it, like from like waiting around and being impatient was, was like my biggest issue, and the fact that it was not well organized. Because again, that is like the biggest part from what you just said to me was the structure of it, and you know, but like yeah, your body does peak at a certain time. It's usually honestly between like ten to four p.m. or ten a.m. to four p.m. Yeah. And depending on who you are, and there's like a lot of goes into that. But I remember when I was training for like baseball and stuff like that, and it wasn't as necessarily intense. I didn't do it at like a a place like this, but I, we did core performance from like the athletes performance in, in Tempe, Arizona. So they do a lot of pre-draft training and they send you exactly the same, like, like laid out schedule of what you should be doing every single day for your workout. Right. So I'd all summer, like all summer I would do this in the off season for baseball. Like if I had to show up after putting all this effort in and put like working my ass off, like with just one singular focus for like a month and a half minimum of like, okay, I have to ace this combine guys who didn't play in a bowl game. Two and a half months, like this, you're looking forward to this one thing that everyone's told you could make or break your draft stock, despite all the tape and all the film you already have. And then you show up, and it's like, oh, it's gonna be like 30 more minutes. You're gonna, you're gonna run. It's, it got pushed back. Run a little bit late. It's gonna be like around nine. No, I'm already for bed, dude. And you know you didn't sleep the night before. True. That's a good point too of of how how difficult and how stressful that week really is for a lot of these kids. For Joe Burrow, it was not a stressful week. He got up there at the podium. He did probably a ton of interviews, maybe some media availability here and there. But the thing he did do is he squashed any belief that he was going to be Eli Manning 2.0. Good for him for doing that, saying that, yeah, if the Bengals draft him, he's absolutely going to play for them. He didn't work out, nor did Chase Young. A lot of people seemed upset with that, saying, you know, why aren't these kids willing to do that? And I saw it was... Ryan, Ryan Leaf and, and Peyton Manning. Oh Ryan, Ryan Leaf said this, and I like Ryan Leaf a lot, and I think his his story is incredible and what he has really done. Didn't to have two in the top life. five. Yeah, I, I'm just uh, not necessarily along the lines of his draft takes and what he thinks about that, but he was saying how right. you know 20 years ago, he and Peyton Manning, they never once thought about not working out at the Combine. There's something to be said for that. There's also something to be said for having everybody and their mother tell you that you're going to be the number one pick, or in Chase Young's case, the number two pick, basically be a unanimous number two pick, and think to yourself, wait, why am I going to go work out in this highly pressurized atmosphere with atypical circumstances? What, What can I possibly gain from doing this? So from that perspective, I totally get it. And I don't really necessarily want to sit here and, and say it's some sort of generational thing because I know that's what everybody's going to want to do. But, like, yeah. I guess Joe Burrow could have, if you haven't seen him play in person yet, like, 
You could if you're have that only one person in the country that hasn't. <laughs> like we saw him play, I mean, it, it, we saw him play three times this past year, and we're not like we don't cover LSU or anything like that. If you want to oh, go yeah. see Joe Burrow, you can go see Joe Burrow play. Yeah, we'll sneak in. They have yeah. lobster and everything like that at the games. It's fantastic. <laughs> no, but like it, you know, the the generational thing on that, I get it. But that is, and, and I like Ryan Lee too for the most part, besides his top five quarterback rankings, which is ridiculous. But. Anybody that talks about, like, well, we used to do this at the Combine versus that. Have you seen, like, just look at the video of Brady at his Combine. He's wearing, like, like a size double XL white tee from, like, Walmart. Just, like, a Hanes undershirt. It's like a and big then, like, dog's boxers. tee. It's like a big dog's tee is a fantastic reference. And just, like, I'm, like, I'm pretty sure, like, the offensive line would, like, show up in jeans and, like, work boots. Like, all right, let's do these <laughs> drills. It, it has, like, now there's so much more that goes into it. And there's so much more stock that goes into it. And, by the way, like... Uh, so much more now you're making millions of dollars based off of this weekend true true. you know what I mean like because there's going to be something dumb enough to, to you know bite on you for running like a, a 4 three forty. Anyway. yeah so that that storyline I, I like that that at least Joe Burrow came out and didn't add any sort of suspense into the belief that he's going to yeah. you know, be this this diva number one pick which Eli Manning has been accused of being for the last 15 years and, and I kind of get it um the Henry Rugg storyline was fun, but it kind of was what it was. It wasn't a record-setting yeah. day. He didn't tie. He didn't tie or break John Ross's record of four two two at the combine. Still ran a four two seven, which was the fastest time uh, at the combine, and it was the fastest for an SEC player as far as the SEC data or as far as the NFL database goes back to two thousand six. Yeah, but Fourth the fastest all time. Fourth fastest all time. Dude, dude can flat out jet. Nobody needed to see him run the forty to know that. But the most interesting thing was the viral clip of his basketball highlights from high Dude. school. Oh, my God. I'd rather watch that than his 40. Yeah, I don't understand why it's just coming to light. Like, somebody's just been sitting on Oh, by the way, you got to see, like, Henry Ruggs do, like, a, like, between the legs dunk or something like that on these idiots. Yeah, he's, I listened to a couple of his interviews, and he was, he was really interesting because he, um, he also wanted to run track, and he's from mm-hmm. Texas. So he obviously, you know, just from what we saw this weekend, I'm assuming he would have made the track team. Yeah. And, uh... And he like went to like, talk to the coach, I guess, because his cousin told him like she was on the team, like he should try out because he was really fast, obviously. And she was like, "I've already got my four by one hundred team. You can come back next year." So Rugs raced them all, yeah, <laughs> on his own, beat everyone, and then like kind of look look at the coach, and she was he's like, "I'll come back next year," and then refused to uh, <laughs> refused to run track that season after she changed her mind. He is uh, he is a an absolute freak. Remember the catch last year against LSU too. I don't know if we yeah. if we made it a big enough deal about that. What he did, especially if you watch it in slow mo, the catch that he made in Death Death Valley, earmuff at LSU fans, was just one of the more impressive physical feats that I've yeah. seen in recent memory. Where he just soared and like it was a throw that was behind him, and he went up with one hand and got it. And that ability alone shows you, okay, yeah, that makes sense yeah. why he was, you know, really good basketball player as well. The weird thing, though, so the list, they showed the list of the fastest 40s at the Combine since 2003. And really the list of guys who are on that, not great NFL careers. Marquise Goodwin, no. Darius Hayward Bay. I mean, I, re- yeah, I mean, really kind of a tough list. 
I, however, would put my money on Ruggs being the best of that group. Of I think it was like maybe the 10 best 40 times among receivers yeah. since 2003. Just none of them ever seemed to really pan out. I know John Ross had a nice start to last year, but still kind yeah. of struggling in the NFL, and he was a top 10 pick after that 40. I don't know where Ruggs is ultimately going to go. I think he should probably go mid to late, probably like mid to late first round, something like that. Yeah. But I, I don't know how much that 40 is really going to impact his draft stock. No, I think honestly, and I wrote it down, we'll, and we'll get into it here in a second of just like the the guys that improve their stock the most or least um, from this weekend. Rugs, I what the, the forty time was like. I don't see it wasn't disappointing. I was pissed because like like I feel bad for Ali still because we had this on for like seven straight hours from like starting at four like the whole night. I was like, oh my goodness, and and so he was supposed to go at eight, and then he went at like eight forty five or nine or something like that. It was something crazy. And then it's over at four point two seven seconds. Like, oh, okay, you know, didn't do it. But his his uh, vert and his actual um, his broad jump, I thought his vertical especially was even more impressive. Forty two inches, pretty good, pretty good, pretty yeah. good. Donovan Peoples Jones also was like forty two inches or something like he that. He was incredible. Yeah, he made himself some money. Former five star kid as well. He was uh, he's a, a freakish athlete, no doubt about it. The guys who I thought helped themselves the most from the SEC. Let's start with Willie Gay, the Mississippi State linebacker, who he has a lot of questions about him. And I'm not saying that he's somebody that I would necessarily want to spend a second round pick on just based on some of the off the field stuff. He was you know, part of that academic fraud stuff where he was suspended the first part of the year. Everybody knows by now about the punch with Garrett Schrader, of course, before the Music City Bowl. Not the best look for a kid. But if you're, if you're a kid in that position where there are those red flags about your character... A lot of red flags, off-the-field issues. That's red, Yeah, drink every time you hear red flags said in terms oh of you know, watching the combine. He passed every test imaginable. Ran a 4-4-6-40, 136-inch broad jump. That's the third best among linebackers since 2006. And oh, by the way, a 39-and-a-half-inch vertical. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. So, all right, should we tell the listeners about the spat we got into on accident this morning? This is my fault. Let's do it. So, Connor had an article that came out this morning, and it, it's, whatever the title was, I was giving him a hard time about, because it, it read, I thought, as a ranking, because we also just do like a ton of rankings on SCS, and it was not, and so then an argument ensued over who deserved to be up the highest, and I, and I wasn't, I loved the list. The list itself was perfect. The list is basically like was, what I'm going to read off here. It's very, very yeah, similar. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I thought it was back. really good. And, and so, and the only thing, like, the first thing I read was, uh, was the guy we're going to talk about next, uh, Justin Jefferson. But I thought Willie Gay from it, like, you're talking about just who improved their stock the most. Yeah. It, it had to be, it had to be Willie Gay, just because this is not a guy that was being talked about in the first round at all. He goes out and, and just put up ridiculous numbers. He, he was first in every single drill for linebackers at the combine, besides the 40 with, uh, what's his name, Isaiah Simmons, who ran a freak. Just a freak force. Let's just not even call him but a he, linebacker because Isaiah Simmons is on a different level. He's just a defensive yeah. player. Exactly. But but him going out there, being able to like he, he finished first among all SEC linebackers. He finished first or second among every single um uh drill at his position. It, that was incredible. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think anybody saw that coming. And he did so. I mean, it's it's not a small dude. No, he's a large individual. And remember, I think he had that pick six. And just right when he came back from from suspension, he had a pick six on like the first play, I think. Yeah. Where he's just like, oh, okay, Willie Gay's back, and he's uh, he's looking pretty good. But the spat was essentially because like I did, you know, did a big feature on Justin Jefferson a couple weeks ago, and so I had Justin Jefferson as the picture for the story as well, and I had him as the number one. Like I I listed five guys who I thought improved their draft stock the most, and I I just listed them in order, like you know, just like one, two, three, four, five. 
Number one, I put Jefferson, but I wasn't saying that Jefferson helped his draft stock the most. He was just, his workout was on Thursday. I just kind of like, I put in, I, I kind of yeah. like looked back when I'm like looking back on this and like I start on Thursday and I kind of work my way through the weekend and then to be able to add guys. So I had him up there at one and like the fact that he was the picture. So like Marler like basically called me out. He's like, oh, this doesn't have to do with anything you wrote. The fact that you wrote an article on him. Well, the title it? of the article, the title of the article said, it, it reads in a confusing way where it was, it, it seemed like it was the who like, like here's here's it in order who like helped their stock the most, and then Albert O was four, and he was on the same day as as Jefferson. Regardless, it's not it's not a big deal. I just oh, I was, crap, I was funny right. because like your actual yeah exactly. I sat on that all day. Okay. Uh, so your but the list itself I thought was spot on. So Connor put up five people. The first person like you said, George Justin Jefferson, and I didn't disagree with that because you know that's a guy that I feel like was already like. Being projected in the late first round, he's a borderline guy. It, depending on which mock draft you look at, and I've looked at right. a lot for him specifically because when I when I wrote that, I wanted to get as many opinions as possible. Yeah. And it's kind of fifty. It was fifty fifty going into the weekend, but the concern going into the weekend was what is that straight line speed? And there were still right. questions about that. He comes out and runs a four four three and ran a better forty. I'm not saying that he's a better prospect, but in terms of the athleticism questions, ran a better forty than C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, and Jalen Rieger. So. Those guys are yeah. all projected to go ahead of him in pretty much any mock draft that you look at. Maybe not Jalen Rieger as much, but definitely Lamb and Judy. So I thought big for Jefferson to be able to do that. I don't know Huge. what questions are left about Justin Jefferson after the year yeah, that he and why? had. And why. I, it's, his route running to me is really, really good. And I would, if I'm a team sitting there with a pick, you know, like pick 21 or whatever the Eagles are, I think the Eagles are somewhere around there, or the Bills, I am definitely wanting to go after somebody like Justin Jefferson. Yeah, it's 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 again. It's weird that he would like like. I'm just surprised there's been so much. I feel like he's been under a microscope uh, or you know under scrutiny more than any other prospect almost for. And I don't know why. Yeah, look what he's in 2018. Like 2018, he's an incredible story. Yeah, in 2018, he even admitted it's like it's a mediocre offense, and I I balled out like over like 900 yards, something like that. Yeah, and he was clearly the go-to receiver in a very limited offense. So Jefferson definitely helped himself over the weekend. How about Jabari Zuniga? The Florida oh edge defender who, I'll be honest, I I, I don't want to say that I expected him to do what Ja'Kai Polite did. I, that would have been a really lazy assumption right. on my part. Ja'Kai Polite basically fell apart in the pre-draft process, and that unfortunately <laughs> has carried over into his uh, really, really unfortunate NFL career yeah. so far. And I don't Jab- mean to laugh, but... Yeah, Jabari Zuniga is just... any Anybody who's comparing him to Ja'Kai Polite, he just blew that out of the water because that is not yeah. a fair comp at all. He ran the second-best 40 among all defensive linemen, 4.64. Also had a 33-inch vertical, 29 bench press reps. Very, very important for him after he just seemed like he couldn't stay on the field this past year, and it was the John Grenard show for most of the year in Todd Grantham's yeah. offense. When I think going into the season, I think he was one of those guys too, where we expect a lot out of him, and then he was, you know, he had some injuries. It's like not his fault, but he, like he was almost forgotten about as the season went on. Like it was like, oh, you know, like you could just. It felt like they were starting to build a case against him more than anything. Like why he shouldn't be in the first round, even though he seemed like he had first round talent. The fact that he had the twenty nine bench reps was was maybe the most impressive part for me because he had. I mean, he, he's he's six three two sixty four, right? Those arms are not very short. And to be able to put up 29 bench reps, like that, that's really impressive. It was one of the top, I think it was like top three at his position. Uh, and then to have the uh, the broad jump, which is basically just like how explosive you are oh, yeah. from a standing still position. It was it was 10-7. It was, it was by far the most out of any defensive lineman. I, I just thought he performed incredibly well uh, the whole weekend. And, and 
perhaps the most important thing he did. You talk about again, like the explosive stuff, just from like from a stop to start. A one six one ten yard split is historically good at that position. That's what you want at the edge. That that is what yeah. you want. He, I think he will absolutely have some day two interest. Would be surprising if he did not. And showing that he was healthy also important. Another guy who, for his size, super, super impressive showing in Indy after a year that didn't really go the way that he wanted to. How about Albert O? Comes out and runs a 4-4-9-40 and then just shut it down because when you run the fourth best 40 for a tight end since 2003, you've kind of earned that right uh, to be able to just say, yeah, you know what, I've, I've done what I needed to do. So this stat via NFL research is really, really impressive. Of players 6'5", 250 and above, he had the second best 40 since 2003. Can you, Chris Marler, name the other player on that list? It's 6'5", 250? Yeah. Um, from the SEC. That's your hint. Oh, it's from the SEC. Mm-hmm. Recent. Uh, I should know this. This is going to piss me off. It's not Metcalf, because Metcalf wasn't 6'5", and he wasn't over 250. Close, um, though. <laughs> is it? Uh, Physically yeah, close. Yeah. I was I was thinking, um, I don't think Garrett ran under a 449, right? Mm-mm. No. It's, it, my original thought on this was, uh, well, I can't even remember the name of it now. I don't know. Who is it? Montez Sweat. Oh, yeah. Last damn year. it. He ran a 448. 441, actually. 441, that's right. Unbelievably yeah. impressive. So that just kind of puts it, that puts it all in perspective, because I think... That's one of the things that we need to... I, I try and remind myself as much as possible. You really have to evaluate based on position and what they're doing at their size and just how freakish it is. Dude. And Alberto, I mean, that, that's that's a great thing to be able to show because obviously the, the knock on him is obvious. Yes, he is a red zone machine. I mean, that's somebody who had 23 touchdowns in 27 college games. But yeah. at the same time, if you're not being used at, at other points of the field and you, your numbers take a dip... Yeah, you know, there, there are going to be reasonable questions about you, but going out and showing that you do have that athleticism definitely helped I, him, I thought. There's some good tight ends in this class, and there was a lot that I think helped their stock this weekend. Um, but I, I, the fact that he's down at four is mind-blowing to me. Just absolutely mind-blowing. Because I thought he was a clear-cut number one. I, anyway. Yeah, Alberto is he's going to have... Uh, he could have one of those draft stocks that's kind of all over the place, I feel like. I, yeah. I, I don't really think that he'll go in the first two rounds, but he could. I mean... We think about the best players on Mizzou for the past two seasons that aren't at quarterback. Like Emmanuel Hall and then Albert O. And it's blatantly obvious those are the two difference makers you have that are mismatches with anywhere else in the field, no matter who you're playing. Sure. And both of them have kind of had, you know, these kind of like marred seasons that didn't go as planned, and I feel they were held, that was held against them. Emmanuel Hall didn't get drafted. Gosh, he that's ran, right. Like, that was so four, weird. Four. That was yeah. so weird, and and I remember keep I I, I think I had him on my because after day two of the draft we were at like our best available for day three, and he was I think he was in my top five of, of best best SEC prospects available, and then he just mm-hmm. didn't get drafted. That was bizarre. Um, Justin Metabike, the Texas A&M defensive lineman who had a really solid year, been good the last couple years for the Aggies. At 293 pounds, which by the way he, he's lost some weight, lost some weight for the combine. He ran a 4.8340, 31 bench press reps, and was 7.31 in the three cone drill. That was the best among defensive linemen. Crazy. That's moving pretty well at 293 to be able to do something like that. As a guy that I think pretty much everywhere I had seen, he was in that second round conversation. Maybe just maybe 
move in, can move into the back end of the first round after showing that he, athletically speaking, is is definitely at an SEC and NFL level for sure. Uh, so Matt UK is. Like you said, the two ninety three thing. The, again, I don't want to harp on just this one step, but I thought it was a, like most telling thing. The the three cone drill and talking about like getting like the bend and agility is like of of for a guy that size. Good, good draft That's, word, Ben. Yeah, but his ten yard split at one seven three. At 293 pounds, that's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. And then to still run a 483, uh, yeah, I, I thought he was one of the most impressive ones. He had a top three, uh, or either third best uh, bench press as well, at like at 31 reps. He's a guy that I think will not go in the first round. I think he's, for whatever reason, he's been slept on for most of his college career and you know going into the draft. He is, by all means, a first-round talent. And, and I would argue, honestly, just looking at like the, the list, I don't want to say I would have it number one, but he'd probably be... The, in easily in the top three uh, people, if I had to put like confidence in how long they were going to be the longest in the NFL, yeah. have the longest careers, I, I would say him because he's done. He's proved everyone wrong. I feel like at every step of the way and just silent goes about his business and puts up great numbers. Good run stuffing guy was the key reason that their mm-hmm. run defense has improved a lot under Mike Elko last couple of years. Marcus Spears also says some very very complimentary things to Justin Matabike. He is going to be one to watch in the NFL draft. Last one who I thought really helped themselves, and I'll let you I'll let you dig into kind of your guys, maybe guys that I, I left off of my list as well. C.J. Henderson, the Florida cornerback, who ran a four three nine forty, or was it a three four nine forty? Which one oh was it? Oh my god, that was the I I could not have like. I could care less about that entire thing. I, I spent so much time all weekend doing this stupid stuff. Last night, like we we got done shooting a video, and we get like it been like the busiest day. And as soon as we get done, I was like, "All right, babe, I promise we're gonna hang out. We're gonna spend time together." Uh, as soon as I, I make this post, and I put three four nine, and then I also flip flopped his school. And I think we all know C.J. Henderson plays at Florida. And I anyway, C.J. Henderson had one of the most impressive combines as well. That's another guy coming at 6'1", 209 for a corner. Bench and then being 20 able to, reps and ran a 4.39. That's good. That's really good. Again, with those arms. like it, uh, Not very short arms. To be able to put up 20 reps on the bench, like that's that's more than some lineman. Uh, that's actually mm-hmm. almost double one of the linemen from, from Mizzou. But, yeah, I thought he had he had one of the best days. Not only that, <clears throat> his uh, his ability, when he had, um, what was it? He was top five in the vert. I think he had a really good uh, broad jump as well. But, like, the vert was most impressive. At 6'1". I've been kind of surprised at the mock drafts that don't have him higher. Everybody knows that Jeffrey Okuda, the corner out of Ohio State, is going to be the number one cornerback drafted. Probably going to be a top five pick. But it seems to be this wide open discussion for who's going to be the second cornerback drafted. Give me C.J. Henderson. I like Christian Fulton a lot yeah. too. But yeah. I think that C.J. Henderson has just done everything and more to show that he, he should be a mid-first round type of guy. And somebody looking for a lockdown plug and play starting cornerback <clears throat> would be happy to end up with somebody like him. Well, and Fulton, like his numbers from Pro Football Focus, the stats they come up for him are just ridiculous. It's like he allowed 18 total first downs in his career and had like 19 pass breakups or so. I don't know the exact status, but it's something nuts. Um, I think I think uh, Henderson he got like a big big vote of confidence because Grantham said it's the best defensive back he's ever ever coached. Um, I do I do before we get to the people whose stock went down. I did want to give a shout out to like just the SEC in general because um, you know I know we focused on like a, a few key guys, but I thought as a whole I was kind of blown away at just how many like players that we haven't been talking about or we're talking about going into the combine. Yeah. How many players had a great weekend for themselves? So just going through like the days like in, in positions. Thursday, Tyree Cleveland from Florida. He had the fifth best vert. He had a really good forty time at four four six. Um, so Alberto, of course, 
Steven Sullivan from uh, from LSU. This kind of like afterthought tight end who, you know, he wasn't Thad Moss who didn't participate. He was top two at his position in the 40, the vert, and the broad jump. That's, I mean, I thought that was great. And then you talk about uh, the running backs, offensive lineman. Rico Dowdle from uh, from South Carolina was in top five or six at his position in every single um, category. Yeah, I think except for the 40, but he ran a 4.52. I thought Swift did a lot to solidify um, him being a first-round pick and deserving it, even if somebody else takes another running back in the first round. Uh, and then you look at a guy like Alaire, Clyde Edwards-Alaire having a 39.5-inch vert, which was stupid. And I thought Brian Harry and did a, his 40-time didn't make you, you know, like gush. It was like a 4.62 or 4.64. But everything else he did was was near the top for running backs. Like he had 18 reps on the bench. He's like a 38-inch vert. Uh, the broad jump was outstanding too. He's, I think that kid is going to do really well. Georgia fans love Brian Harrion a lot. He's I mean, they, they kept saying whenever he went down that, oh, man, they need Brian Harrion out there. Why is that guy not getting more touches? He yeah. could be one of those guys that just gets onto an NFL roster and is – you know, one of those guys that like you, you kind of look up maybe like eight, nine years from now and he's still playing. You're like, oh, Brian yeah. Arians just still out there, still doing it. Good for him. And real quick, the uh, the last one's here. Um, Scotty Phillips did not have a good combine, but he had 29 reps on the bench, which is impressive. The uh, the LSU linebackers, Patrick Queen, man, mm-hmm. I, he's I I think he's gonna be a first. Too bad about the, the hamstring be. though uh, with the, yeah, the that's forty. Tough. That's a bummer. And I didn't I didn't include for we're not getting we're not getting to the down guys yet. But I didn't include yeah. guys who got hurt because that that to me is like yeah. yeah obviously like they hurt their draft stocks by by getting injured. But I'm not getting gonna hurt. sit here and being like oh they they shouldn't have gotten hurt in Indy like what right. that's weird. No, but um but him for sure. Patrick Queen, DJ Wanham's a guy. It's not gonna be a, a day one guy at all. But I just thought he put up good numbers. He was in the top, you know, one or two uh, for linebackers. I think uh, for every all the players in the SEC, he put up really good numbers. And then, um, how about Javaris Davis from Auburn running a, a sub four four? We had, we heard nonstop about the uh, the other cornerback. Can't pronounce his name. I'm Ig- not going to try to. Noah Something. Yeah. Exactly. And he had a good. I, I thought the the defensive backs as a whole because we got the linebackers. You talk about last year with Montez Sweat running a four four one at that size. Like it was you know SEC speed. It, you know they kind of stole the show. They were pretty disappointing. You only had two linebackers that broke a sub four or five uh, from that entire group that participated. The defensive backs, I thought all of them did something that that you know, like stood out. So, you want to get to the guys who, in my opinion, hurt themselves the most in Indy. Let's do it. You ready? I'm gonna let you start. Yeah, because right. I'm not I'm not saying this guy's name. You know that I am a pro Jake Fromm guy. I've been banging the drum for him, but I thought I hurt himself. I had questions, and everybody else had questions, about how he was going to look standing next to Justin Herbert, standing next to Jordan Love, these guys who have been pretty much unanimously considered better prospects than him. And I thought watching him throw compared to them, you saw the difference. And you saw that the ball, the way that he he kind of steps in a deep throw, I think he throws a nice deep ball, but it looks a little bit more effortless coming out of the arm of Jordan Love and Justin Herbert. And it looked like maybe Jake Fromm was trying to throw it through a wall to kind of squash yeah. the concerns about his arm strength. And I get it. I get it from that perspective. You're wanting to come out there and show, look, I'm not lacking arm strength. You can rely on me to make any throw in the field. But I don't think anybody looked at him and said, yes, now I am all of a sudden going to treat him as a first-round prospect. And if you are all of a sudden considering him in the back end of the first round, you're not doing it based on anything you've seen in the last year. That's the issue with Jake no. Fromm. And, and you know what? The comment that made headlines, rare that a Jake Fromm comment makes headlines. 
But he had the quote, yeah. of course, about his small hands. Oh, God. He says, you know, those hands took him to three SEC championships, a national championship, a Rose Bowl, and a couple Sugar Bowls. I don't actually don't mind Jake Fromm coming out and no. saying that because it shows that he's not a robot. So good for him for actually defending himself because it sounded like he was a little bit sick of the criticism. But yeah. I get where the criticism is coming from, and I don't have any problem with people saying, you know what, this guy is not worth going after in the first round. Well, I get that. It's about time you're on board for that because I've been saying it for I a want while. him in the second um, round. That's why I'm I saying I said it last week. Uh, no, it, like, it, just to be clear, because I know Georgia fans always think I hate him for no reason, but Jake Fromm is I, – I, I don't think he's a first-round draft pick. I don't think he's that talented. I, you know, All the things I said last week I still stand by. However – there is no player in this combine, maybe this draft, that has been sus- like subject to more unfair criticism and comparisons than Jake Fromm. Yeah. And it, it, like, do you think about how awful it would be going up against a guy like Jacob Eason that you've already beat out for a starting job, and then in the same season took your team to a national title? The nobody was talking about that. Of course, the talk was like, yeah, you know, Eason, he, you know, he had to transfer out because of him. But like, look how much more physically impressive he is. Like, the arm is better. Like, like being sandwiched between him and like, guys like Justin, you know, Herbert and. Like, he, he wasn't going to ha- – there was nothing he was going to do this whole week that was going to stand out. Like, he wasn't going to run a 4-5. He wasn't going to be, you know, come in, like, jacked or have, like, the best arm strength at all. And to have to go up back-to-back in in drills with Eason, I thought that kind of sucked for him. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I will say, like, he, he is a guy that – like, he will be a, a good backup quarterback in the NFL probably. But what sucks about, like, the Jake Fromm stuff is – he doesn't have anything that just jumps off the page or wows you. And then when you try to cut on the tape, he doesn't. They didn't play an offense where it was like, "Well, he put up a whole bunch of numbers in this. He did really well in this game." Like it was so inconsistent, especially this last season. I, it's it's not. I don't, I don't see how he ends up in the first round. I mean, no, again, I like the five games in a row under fifty percent completion percentage at, for somebody that we've long time we've long considered a game manager. Yeah, it's just not a good look. Not the best look. And you're not going to say it, but I will. Jalen Hurts had a better combine than Jake Fromm. I'll say that. And it would not at this point, it would not at this point stun me to see people more high on Jalen Hurts than they are Jake Fromm, which is... Jake Fromm would be a better NFL quarterback, in my opinion, but... Yeah, I would still tend to think... that, Georgia fans. I would still tend to think that Jake Fromm would be a better NFL quarterback, but I realize I'm kind of in the minority at this point. How about Jawan Jennings? Somebody who I think really impressed at the Senior Bowl. I thought he, he showed his route running skills and kind of made you think, man... I wish I could have seen that guy with a productive offense and a competent quarterback the last few years because your boy JG was not that bad. But running a four-seven-two is not the best look for a receiver, and suddenly those questions about his athleticism and his ability to get open at the next level kind of start to come creeping back in. Jawan Jennings didn't all of a sudden vault him itself into the round two discussion. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I thought that was interesting because I, I tweeted something out about how, because his numbers were very bad. Like, the vertical at 29 inches was pretty, uh, like, alarming as well. I don't think he had a good broad jump. Um, I can't remember what it is, but, yeah, like, that was that was really surprising. But he's a guy that, like, he's just, he's put up numbers in the SEC. He's played against C.J. Henderson. He's played against all these guys. Like he's, And he's put up, like, I think he's had a career where you do have to turn on the tape, like, all right, well, somehow he's still making plays. And if, if I, I think his draft stock probably, you know, it wasn't improved by any means this weekend. You don't do that running a four seven, but he's also a guy that like he's he's gotten it done on the field for four straight years at Tennessee against elite competition. He has, and that's something that I think if he does end up going on day three or something like that, somebody is going to look at that and say, you know what, we're we're going to take a chance on him because we just trust that he's going to be able to get open and make plays for us. 
Josiah Coatney, the Ole Miss defensive lineman, who I'm not saying that this guy was going to be a mid-round prospect or anything like that, but noteworthy the combine that he had and not just because he lost his shoe doing that weird circle eight drill, whatever that was. Um, yeah. He didn't hit 100 inches in the broad jump. His three-cone drill was north of eight seconds. And I get it. He's 308 pounds, and he ran a 5'2", yeah. 140. But he only benched 22 reps. And yep. this is the alarming thing. Seven running backs had more reps than that. One receiver had more had more reps than that. Oh, and by the way, a punter outbenched him. Shout out Michael Turk. He's a stud. That kid is an animal. Got after it. That, that he didn't even go to the combine to to work out just to like to get NFL money. He just did it to show off. Like that's the only reason right. that if you're Michael Turk, you go and you just want to lift weights for a little bit and you're like, "Hey, Punters are people too, but not necessarily the best weekend for Josiah Coatney, somebody who uh, has helped out their run defense uh, improve a lot. Uh, we talked about that with Mike McIntyre in the one year that he spent there as, as a defensive coordinator, but not exactly a weekend that is going to make Dude, him money. His own like running back from the same team had t- seven more reps on bench than him, and I know he's significantly smaller. Yeah. And then he got outshined by Kadir Shepard yeah. by a lot. Not ideal. Not ideal. Jared Pinckney. Guy who had a rough year. We talked about him a lot coming into this season. Was getting All-America love. Could have gone to the NFL, but decided to come back with the big three of Kalijah Limpscomb and Keyshawn Vaughn. It was not the year nor the weekend that he was hoping for. Ran a 4.9640, which was the worst among tight ends. Three offensive linemen ran better 40s than that. And even probably even more noteworthy was the fact that the pa- it came, there was a report that came out that the Patriots claimed that he answered this question with a loser's mentality. I don't know what. What was it? Yeah, it was it was some sort of weird like scenario. Would you question. cheat? <laughs> would you cheat? I absolutely would not. Patriots yeah. are like you're a loser, man. Um, you're out. But not necessarily the best headline. Now, if he goes to the Patriots, we're gonna look back on that two months and be like, they definitely just planted this and floated this out there so that they could imagine, steal it. Yeah, play, but imagine the Patriots having the audacity to. Openly talk trash about a tight end prospect after their history. That is okay. Yeah, but Jared Pinckney did not exactly squash concerns about his really disappointing senior year. A year in which he had that weird stuff too, where he came out and you know Derek Mason kind of called him out, and there was this rift between them, and just not exactly the best situation. Didn't have a quarterback and get him the ball either, but still. Um, Jared Pinckney was hoping for a much better showing than the one that he got in Indy yeah. over the weekend. All right, the combine is in the books. We still have a little. Oh, hold on, real oh, quick. You have more guys who were the hurt? other one. C.J. O'Grady. C.J. O'Grady did not have a very. He did not. Combine. No, this is true. Now, and I thought a guy that had like the most time to prepare <laughs> compared to anybody else. True. I was I was surprised. The one that disappointed me the most, and I was just sad. Chauncey Rivers did a really poor job for Mississippi State. Ran a four nine seven at two hundred sixty pounds. Not good. Yeah. But the one that made me the most the most bummed was uh, our boy Dejon Harris, who I still think. I mean, he's he's a football player. He's He's a guy that's had over 100 tackles for three straight seasons, but it, it did suck that he had. He, he ran. I think he had the lowest broad jump. Uh, it was like alarmingly low. Um, like for his, his position at linebacker, he ran like a four seven. It just wasn't wasn't great. I don't know if I love anyway. anything as much as you love Dejon Harris. I love Dejon Harris. You do. You are you are a tackle machine guy. Um, let's let's cross over to the hardwood. Kentucky clinched an SEC regular season championship via a win against Auburn over the weekend. They've now won eight in a row, 12 of their last 13, ever since that weird ending against South Carolina with a buzzer beater. Question about Kentucky. 
are they gearing up for a national championship run or are they a team that is peaking a little bit too early? So it's weird to even bring that up because last year at this time, the the narrative was it's the same story, but the narrative was totally different. It was like you know they're doing they're doing what they do always like they they're peaking at the right time. You know they're they're hitting their stride like late February, early March. You know this this is when they turn it on, and now it's like you know they haven't won it in a while. So people are just for whatever reason because the expectations are so high of them. Um, you know you do have to order that. I think the the good news for Kentucky there's not a college basketball team in the country this year that's unbeatable. That's like head and shoulders yep. above every other team in the country. There's some good ones, but there's, I mean, you talk about Dayton might get a one seed. Shout out Dayton. Like this, well, Anthony Grant, unreal. But I mean, yeah, like there's, there's not a clear cut or one seed. I was honestly surprised with the schedule they've played, how low they've been ranked in like any of those projections for like in the bracketology stuff for up until now, they were like a five seed, a six seed, even like up in like two, three weeks ago. And now they're finally getting some of like the respect they deserve. Um, we talk all the time about how Auburn has, uh, they're the only team in the SEC that's undefeated at home. Kentucky has one loss at home. It was to Evansville, though. Did you see Evansville clinched a winless conference season? And they became the first yeah. team to ever <laughs> beat a number one and then have a winless conference season. I, I don't even know. Yeah, it's, it's still mind-blowing to me. But, I mean, oh, didn't they? I, anyway. But, it, but they just, I, I think Kentucky is, they're playing really, really good basketball right now. Um you know, I think they win the conference because the conference itself has been everyone below them has just kind of sputtered. When, now that's like go time. Auburn's been struggling. LSU's been inconsistent on a on a week to week basis. Yeah, and the the weird thing too with this Kentucky team is the fact that like there are a lot of people who are more casual observers, myself sort of included in that, who are going to look at Kentucky and think, oh, you know, it's freshmen who are just sort of figuring out, but you can't really bet on them in March. This team is not that at all. And Adam Adam no. Spencer has been saying that all year. He's been sort of banging the drum about that. Like, you know, Emmanuel Quickly, who's just been dynamite lately. Yeah. That guy's been awesome. He, Ashton Higgins, EJ Montgomery, these guys are all sophomores. Nick Richards, Nick Richards who's probably the most improved player in the country, is a junior. I, Kentucky is not what we have grown accustomed to seeing from from Cal, and will that make a difference in March? I don't know, but if you're betting on a team right now to make the deepest run in the tournament, are you taking Kentucky, or are you taking the field in the SEC? I'm taking Kentucky, yeah. hands down. Um, I mean, there's a couple, because outside of Kentucky, there's no one that I, I believe is consistent enough. The only thing I would would put my, my money on is like one of like the lower ranked uh, seeds from the SEC or like a team like Arkansas or Mississippi State, like being a total Cinderella surprise or something like that. Um, you talk about, you said betting, like if you're betting on this, like Kentucky. If team, I'm just giving you straight up odds, if I'm giving you even odds yeah. on both sides of that, yeah. But the reason why I'm bringing it up is Kentucky's, they've won their last eight games. They're seven and one against the spread in those last games. Like they're not only winning games, they're winning some like in, in like very impressively. So. Yeah, I was, I was watching the A&M game the other night too, watching Buzz Williams just sweat through a, all of his clothes. And I kept waiting for, I was waiting for AM to make that run because if you kind of yeah. go back to a couple weeks earlier with South Carolina, South Carolina just kind of hang around, hang around, hang around, and then they make this run at the end and Kentucky had just stopped attacking the basket. And that just did not happen at all against AM. And I'm not saying that, mm-hmm. you know, AM is like an all world team, but I thought that that in itself shows a lot of maturity in this run that Kentucky Hoops is hoping to go on would be impressive. But as I always bring up, when it comes to SEC basketball and the brand that is SEC basketball, yeah, in a way, it's kind of the worst thing when the only yeah. team that looks worthy of a national championship run is Kentucky. That's the tough Auburn, thing. Auburn winning the way they did last year, winning the SEC, as somebody predicted, 
and also getting to the Final Four was one of the best things that happened for SEC basketball yep. in quite some time. Because I said the thing earlier about the story's the same, the narrative's different. I've been asked this several times, like on uh, my PB all the time. It's like, you know, is it is it more of a there's so much parody in the conference, or is it like they're underachieving? It's definitely underachieving. Yeah, for it's sure. It's definitely underachieving. It's not parody, but like you know, a year ago, it's like oh, there's so much parody. So yeah, Big Ten is is parody right now. I think the Big Ten is oh, kind of doing a little bit what the ICC did last year, where you're yeah. kind of looking up and you're thinking, oh man, there's easily eight tournament like teams. Eleven teams, probably yeah, pro- could potentially have double digit teams. In the NCAA tournament, the SEC is not going to get anywhere close to that. We talked a little bit of basketball with our guy, Ty Richardson. I've realized, just kind of had a realization over the weekend. You know, we've known Ty for a little while now, and he's been a a friend of SDS. And I just realized we probably should have him on at some point because I've been wanting to talk some stuff about Arkansas. And one of the things that I want to do this offseason is have some sort of beat reporter, radio personality, somebody that's close to the program for each of these new SEC coaches, for each one of those teams. There's four teams in the SEC that have a new coach, Arkansas obviously being one of them. So it's great to be able to dig into some Sam Pittman stuff with our guy, Ty. So here is our interview with Ty Richardson. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest, a first-time guest, in fact, but a good buddy for the last couple of years. It is Ty Richardson of ESPN Arkansas. Ty, let's get to the important stuff first here. Um, your thoughts on the new Bud Light Seltzer compared to White Claw? Oh, we're starting off the bat. Um, now, we kind of formed a little, a little friendship. Now, Connor and I have known each other for a little bit, Chris, but I feel like you became part of the can, even though you guys are coworkers. Like I, I let you into my circle. It's like, this dude likes white claws. And then like Kramer and page. And I was like, this is a, this is a good squad to be down there with. Um, I have had, we drink them dry. The yeah. <laughs> I have had the Natty light seltzer. I've had the Bud light seltzer and I like, um, both some of the Natty lights and the, the Bud light seltzer. Boys, let's just be honest. Like white claw above everything above Truly's above the, the seltzers. Like, I just I, – there is nothing better on a Saturday in Baumwalker <laughs> Stadium than a red grapefruit White Claw watching the Hawks. Oh, like, man. There's, just, there's just, nothing I better mean, just than that. Just the testosterone coming out of your voice just when I hear you say it. Uh, it's, it's palpable. <laughs> mainly, I love it. Mainly as it gets, right? <laughs> I love it. Oh. <laughs> uh, I do want to dig into some some Sam Pittman stuff here. Um, I remember going on your show, hit that line, and just getting roasted by your listeners during the coaching search for saying that I didn't think Lane Kiffin was a realistic target. And Arkansas, uh-huh. of course, ends up with Sam Pittman. And by that point of the search, though, it felt like Arkansas fans had sort of talked themselves into the hire. But I remember you coming out and pretty much saying to everyone, look, this actually says a lot about where the program is that they ended up with someone without any FBS experience as a head coach or as a coordinator. Explain your reaction to Pittman then versus now. Well, Connor, I think initially, like there's been so much uh, bad, so much bad blood with the Arkansas fans in the football program lately because of where it was to where it is now. I mean, you think back to when Bobby Petrino headed it up and they went to a Sugar Bowl. They went to a Cotton Bowl. They had two 10-plus win seasons. I mean, riding high. 2011, guys, you have to remember, the only two games they lost to that year were the <clears throat> national championship competitors in Alabama and LSU. I mean, that those teams were incredible. To now where you are, where you're coming off back-to-back two and 10-win seasons, and the fans are just, like, restless. And so the Chad Morris experience, 
it didn't work out. It failed miserably. So I listen. I went to the U of A. I'm always going to be an Arkansas Razorbacks fan, regardless if I'm in the media or not. That's just how it is. I'm not going to shy away from that. But I try my best to look at things from a perspective that's not just a fan perspective, or not just hey, let's give let's give this guy a ton of credit before he's going to the hill, and just assume that he's going to turn this football program around. Guys, the fact is, this guy does not have a single down of head coaching experience at the Division One level. Now, he's made some tremendous moves, hiring Kendall Bryles as his OC, hiring Barry Odom as his DC. That's a great start. But I think it's fair to question not only because of where the football program is, but because of the fact this guy has no head coaching experience at the Division One level. That's fair, right? Except I got blasted for it, yeah. Connor. Based on the the responses from when you came on our show, uh, people just don't like the fact that we were potentially questioning this hire if it was going to work out. I, I for one, was on board. So if anybody's listening right now, just know that I love Sam Pittman. I think it's a fantastic hire. (laughs) They could have gotten all the people they wanted. Um, uh, So so if nothing else, Sam Sam Pittman is a phenomenal recruiter. He's one of the most well-liked coaches among his peers in the SEC. The turnaround he had with this year's recruiting class from when he was hired until signing day was absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. How important was that, quote-unquote, win uh, for the Hogs fans? Chris, that was huge, man. I mean, 24-7 sports, which I know that that's what Saturday Down South uses, they had Arkansas listed at 118th at one point. Right. That was, a, what, like, 118th, like, in college football. That is disgusting. And Behind Harvard. SEC, yeah, behind Harvard. Like the Ivy League school, Harvard. Um, so that is something that, like, as a Razorback fan, you're just sitting there and you're sick as a dog looking at that. That being said, for them to go to 118 to 29 on the composite rate, that is unbelievable. So Sam Pittman and his staff are actually, now some of them have moved out, but they're living at a Lindsay apartment complex called the Lynx, which is about two miles from, uh, from campus. And there's a golf course on there. And so the running joke for a while is these guys haven't been playing golf. They've been working their tails off. And I think with the addition of Kendall Bryles, like as a great recruiter, Barry Odom's been more of a developer developer over his years, his time as early, but he's had those connections he made in Mizzou and was able to pull some of those guys to Arkansas. And, guys, we also have to take into account Felipe Franks, A.J. Reed, uh, the quarterback, Corey Johnson out of A-State, uh, let's see, Reed, there's two other guys that are not coming to mind at this point, but they have five grad transfers that are also, you could argue it's one of the top five, top three grad transfers, like, lists that in not only SEC, but in college football. It's just, it's a really solid list. So the fact that they were able to get those guys along with this recruiting class, they shake out the way it is, that speaks great volumes to what Sam Pittman and his staff have been working on the offseason. And that's another – that's a notch in his belt. I know we haven't gotten to see him perform as a head coach on the field yet, but there's more people that are starting to venture out towards his camp than initially when he was hired at Arkansas. I think it's fair to say that given the time strain of what it, what it means to actually have to go out and hire a staff and go out and recruit and not just recruit you know, the, the 2020 class but to try and get grad transfers and all the work that's had to be done – I give Sam Pittman really, really high marks. 
that alone can win over fan support. What are the things, because you live there and you kind of see what he's like on a day-to-day basis and not just what Sam Pittman does to make national headlines and to be able to come up on sites like ours, but what have you seen from him that kind of makes you think, you know what, I'm actually kind of changing my tune. Is it just simply how hard he's been working or is it the fact that, like, you know, this is somebody who's kind of just come in with the right right mindset and he's said all the right things so far? Well, you're talking about saying the right things. And I, call, I, I go back to his press conference where he was as emotional as I've seen someone at the podium when accepting and talking about the job. He was like crying during the press conference because of how bad he's wanted this job. And you guys probably know the backstory. He grew up not far from here in Grove, Oklahoma, which is really close to Fayetteville. It's, it's less than 90 miles. And he grew up an Arkansas fan despite living a month sooner in Oklahoma State territory. And he wanted to go to Arkansas, didn't get a scholarship under Lou Holtz. They, they thought he was too small. So he ends up going to a nearby Pitt State, having success there. And then is the offensive line coach at Arkansas. And he probably just didn't want he didn't want to deal with Bielema anymore. I understand that. And, like, let, let's be honest, guys. If you're presenting with the opportunity to coach the offensive line at Georgia or Arkansas, where are you going? You're going to Georgia. That's just And that's coming from an Arkansas guy. I know that. But one of the things that I think he picked up from Kirby Smart being down there is the amount of time and effort and energy you spend in recruiting. Now, I, I think Brett Bielma was a, once a good recruiter. It looked like he tailed off towards the end of his tenure at Arkansas. But Smart, dude, like the money they spent this past season, what they spent like $2.4 million on recruiting, and just the, the amount of effort that Kirby Smart and his staff spends on high school recruits daily – it's unbelievable, and that's why they had have had, what, two top two classes the past two years. I mean, he, he works tirelessly, works effortlessly, and hopefully a little bit of that will rub off on Sam Pittman so he can take some of the things he learned in Athens and translate them to Fayetteville. I mean, once again, I'm going to disagree because I, for one, if it was between Arkansas and Georgia, would choose Arkansas um, if it meant <laughs> I could avoid my Twitter mentions for uh, the rest of my life. So, um, but I mean, you, you've already kind of spoken to it. Pittman is such a high energy dude. Has that kind of rubbed off with the players and the guys around the program this offseason? Is, is it something, it, it seems like there's just a new sense of excitement. And I know that's kind of easy coming off the heels of, like you said, the Chad Morse experience. But is that high energy kind of rubbed off? I think it has a little bit, Chris. And I think when you look at some of these highlight videos, you just you automatically get excited. For you guys, it's any time you see an SEC football highlight, you, you realize, man, we're getting closer to spring practice, we're getting closer to spring games, and we're getting closer to fall, baby. And that's what we all love. That's what we all just relish every single year when fall rolls around. Now, I know you guys are working nonstop, working like 20-hour days with that, but you love college football. That's why we do what we do. And I think with this football program right now, it needed injected some life. And one of the guys that I forgot to mention, Xavier Kelly, the four-star defensive tackle, the grad transfer from Clemson, he's also elected to go with Arkansas. So these additions in the offseason, whether it's the assistants, whether it's the players, whether it's the, it, it seems like the, the strength and condition. And guys, how about Rakeem Boyd coming back? The fact yeah, is, yeah. He, he had like over 1,100 yards behind one of the most putrid offensive lines in the SEC. No guys, and I mean, no one thought he was coming back. All of a sudden, we see this letter that he puts out on social media I'm coming back. And like everyone is floored fans, 
media members, everyone is absolutely shocked. It's like, what is going on? And that goes back to Kendall Bryles. That goes back to Sam Pittman. And that hopefully, hopefully will do something with the wins next season. Because, guys, I don't know if I can do another year of sports radio where they go two and ten. <laughs> oh, yeah. What do you talk about, man? Well, man. <laughs> There were so many times when Ty would be like, "Hey man, can we can we bump like cuz I would I would come on the show Monday Monday afternoons we had a, a regular slot and there were times where he'd be like, "Man, our phones are blowing up. <laughs> we got we got to bump you today. We're busy. People just want to call in and complain because that that's reality and that's reality of a frustrated frustrated fan base in the SEC. In the Chad Morris era, you talk about the failure of it and I don't think it's one of those things that we're going to look back on. Even if the Sam Pittman thing doesn't work out, I don't think it's going to be one of those things that we look back on and say, oh, Hunter Juracek, he pulled the plug too quickly. I think he just kind of knew. When was that moment for you when you realized, "Ah, you know what, I'm not buying what Chad Morris is selling anymore? You know what, it's hard, guys, because we had Todd Boyd on our show and he kept talking about how Morris was going to turn the program around. He kept talking about what he learned from the former head coach at the University of Arkansas and how how he would not be where he was without Chad Morris. And you kind of drink the Kool-Aid a little bit, which I think we all do in the offseason when we're looking at teams like, what if this happens? What if this happens? You tend to think more positively than negatively. But then the stuff started to happen. Starkle throws five picks against San Jose State, and they lose that football game. And you're just sitting here like, this is supposed to be the quarterback guru that we've heard so much about. Ben Hicks, Nick Starkle, guys that you brought in during the offseason as grad transfers, and you're like, oh, you're excited. One guy played for Chad Morris at SMU. The other guy had pretty good stints at certain points at Texas A&M. This could bode well. This is not going to be the same type of situation that they faced the year before with Ty Story and Cole Kelly. Unfortunately, it, you could argue it was the same. like, And that like is insane to think about. The level of talent that you had at the quarterback position compared to the previous year, and you still didn't do anything with it. They got smacked around by Auburn. That was a pretty rough game. Smacked around by Mississippi State. But the nail in the coffin, boys, was when former Arkansas quarterback Ty Story came in with the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers and put a beat down on Arkansas. That sealed Chad Morris's fate, and it was all the story road after that. Oh, that's a good line. <laughs> that's good. Why didn't we come yeah. up with that? Because I came up with a song. I usually just said, this is the story of a hurl. That's my favorite, so I'm, I'm glad we got to bring that up. Um, so, like, I, I brought this up going into last season, and, and I didn't foresee the problems they would have at quarterback or on offense and, you know, um, for the uh, the entire season, but they signed four four star receivers going into the two or from the 2019 class, and you know two of those guys, Traylon Burks and uh, Trey Knox, I, I think are both top 250 guys that that I thought were going to be fantastic freshmen. They they both had pretty good seasons, all things considered. Which one of those guys takes like the next step going into this season? So the guys that you're talking about, Marler, TQ Jackson, Trey Knox, Traylon Burks, and mm-hmm. Jamar Nash. T.Q. Jackson is rumored to be transferring, Um, but the two guys that you mentioned, man, in Traylon Burks and Trey Knox, Trey Knox, dude, is just a stud. 6'5", out of Murfreesboro, Blackman, just an absolute stud. And they got him the ball some. They need to throw him more in the red zone. I think Kendall Bryles and his offense are going to do a better job of that. Guys, get this, though. Traylon Burks did not have a touchdown last year. That's crazy. 
this is the one, the one of the most exciting SEC freshman wide receivers in the SEC, and you couldn't get him in the end zone. Uh, that's that's inexcusable for Joe Craddock and Chad Morris not to have those type of weapons get in the end zone. I mean, this is a guy. I don't know if you watched him return punts last year. He was like catching them like out in front, and like LSU players after he caught one, it was either LSU or Auburn. They were just shocked at how big this guy's hand were. And this guy runs like a 4-4. I know he tore his ACL in high, high school, so he might have lost a little bit of speed. But he's like a 4-4 guy, just as electric as it gets out of Warren, Arkansas, which is just uh, a, a place where you know, a lot of Razorbacks have come from. And they just didn't utilize his abilities. Hopefully you'll see more out of Kendall Bryles and his offense take advantage of some of the talent that they've got at wide receiver because it's there, so you've got to get him the ball, man. So Arkansas, you, and you brought this up, man, um, and which I was pretty upset about because I thought it was a good question. Um, but Arkansas is a team that started the decade, like you said, as a top 10 program. I still remember that nightmare from the 2010 season in Fayetteville uh, against Alabama with Ryan Mallett and, and uh, Wingo and, and, and all those guys. Um, I mean, I'm mistaking the running back. But anyway, but you guys were a top 10 team, went to the Sugar Bowl, like you said, 2011. They, they only lost the two teams that were in the national championship. It ended, the decade ended with just a horrendous SEC losing streak. Um, try to think of some happy times here, Ty. What was your favorite memory from <laughs> Arkansas football over the last decade? Oh, it's got to be uh, 2010. So 2010, you're playing LSU in Little Rock in the Sugar Bowl. I'm from Little Rock. I'm at this game. War Memorial, it, it's not the nicest of stadiums, but the when there is a big game down there in War Memorial Stadium, and LSU used to be the biggest of games. I mean, there were just some electric atmospheres mm-hmm. down there. If, if you guys don't know, War Memorial is surrounded by a public golf course. Now, it's it's no longer going to be there because they're doing some stuff. But the, like, think about tailgating on a golf course in the SEC. Like, is there anything yeah. better than that? It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's like the Rose Bowl, so, but in Arkansas. Yeah, exactly. A very, a very uh, Dollar General Rose Bowl down there. Um, <laughs> but it was, man, guys, it was about as great as it gets when it comes to playing football and watching Arkansas football. So Arkansas ends up winning this game. Uh, like Jake Beckett, strip sacks, uh, Jordan Jefferson at the end. There's a uh, there, there's multiple ways. Like LSU just couldn't stop Arkansas in the fourth quarter. They just ran it down their throat. You mentioned Roddy Wingo. Roger Green, Niall Davis, it didn't matter because they weren't going to stop them. And at the end of the game, when they're walking on the field, they started blaring, pour some sugar on me because Arkansas had qualified and got into the Sugar Bowl. Boys, it doesn't get much better than that. And I was in high school at the time. I think I was in ninth or 10th grade. And I am just screaming and shouting from ear to ear. But since then, like you guys said, hadn't been a ton of great memories, especially this latter part of the decade. I've developed this this theory about Arkansas that's maybe more of an observation than, than a theory. I'm not definitely not the only person who has it, but I think ever since A&M came to the SEC, that job has been a lot harder than we've been giving it credit for. Besides making the division tougher, it also obviously added a more historically successful school that's in-state where the state that Arkansas tries to really uh, do some heavy lifting and recruiting. Is that a fair thing to to, to kind of wonder about the, the impact that A&M has had on Arkansas and, and these struggles that they had in the latter half of the 2010s? So I think the perfect example you could point to about that, Connor, is Greg McElroy talking about that. This is a kid from South Lake, Texas, ended up going to Alabama, said the loudest venue he's actually ever played in 
was that 2010 game against Arkansas Oof. where he threw two picks and he just man that 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 game still ticks me off to this day. Arkansas should have had that one, but um, let's talk about it. On, <laughs> on, on, did you go to Marla? Did you go to Alabama? I don't remember. I don't let's not do this right now, okay? I'm already depressed that you were in ninth grade when that game happened. Okay. But no, of course I didn't go to Alabama. <laughs> okay, so um, uh, uh, let's get back. So he's Southlake kid, and one of the things he mentioned on uh, Bo Mattingly show when Bo was doing radio a while back here across Arkansas is like Arkansas. It, it was a popular choice for Texas kids, like Texas football kids, because it was the closest school you could go to in the SEC. Now that A&M has been added, you have A&M, and you're still competing with the other Blue Bloods in college football that are in not only your own conference, but your own division. And so with the addition of Texas A&M guys, College Station, now College Station doesn't hold a candle to Fayetteville. We all know that. That's just the point. But their football program, their facilities, and their tradition, it can be compared with Arkansas, and especially the late tradition. They've got something on Arkansas i.e. the fact that Arkansas hasn't beat them since 2011. It's been a while, boys. So I, I think with that, there was these Texas kids that a lot of them, and there's still Texas kids that go to Arkansas, and Arkansas will put heavy emphasis in Texas with Kendall Bryles and some of their other yeah. staff. But I just think with the addition of A&M, you're now having to you, – you don't have that calling card. It's like, hey, this we're the closest SEC school to Dallas. We're the closest SEC school to Houston and some of the other big popular metro areas in the Longhorn State. So it, it, it hurts Arkansas. I don't know how much, but it's definitely hurt Arkansas more than itself. So one of the things that's always impressed me about Arkansas fans um, is almost more than any other fan base in the SEC, their commitment to supporting other sports. And you know, baseball, basketball, cross country, baseball especially, I, I'm just blown away about how uh, – just passionate Arkansas fans are. And as somebody that's engaged to an Oregon State grad, I heard I heard from quite a bit a couple years ago. So, um, you know, I think basketball obviously isn't going in a new direction, but baseball more importantly, is, is this the year they can finally turn the corner or finally get over that hump in Omaha? That's a good question, man. So Phil, um, who Connor knows now, just having a relationship doing the show the last couple of years, he's actually the voice of Arkansas baseball. So, I have a pretty good inside track on how he thinks the game. And when it comes to the Razorback baseball team, there's no one who has more authority and more knowledge than Phil. And you, you mentioned your, uh, you, your Oregon State connection. Phil's sister is actually married to the associate AD or the, the AD out there. So he has a connection as well. And I nice. think back to 2017 when they met each other in the College World Series final. Uh, like just the sea of red that took over. Now I know Corvallis is a lot farther from Omaha than Fayetteville to Omaha is, but and they put a lot of effort and energy in Arkansas baseball. In fact, the, the baseball program uh, was in the win the black boys, and that's there's less than ten percent of our, uh, baseball programs in the NCAA that produce a profit. Arkansas is wow. one of them. Yeah, and you think here's one of the reasons why, guys. Norm DeBryan has been was the head coach from like the 70s to early 2000s. Then Dave Van Horn took over, and they've been to numerous college World Series. You think about the continuity within the baseball program. Two head coaches for like 30-plus years. That's that's incredible. That just doesn't that's happen incredible. across sports. So that's a, that's a big issue. Will they do it this year? Um, they had a pretty bum outing this weekend in Houston where they lost to Oklahoma, Texas, and Baylor two former Southwest Conference opponents, but 
I think that if Casey Morton starts to heat up a little bit, he's their All-American that actually sat the bench on Sunday just to kind of let him see and see if he can get back on track. If he heats up, if Heston keeps doing what he's doing, and I don't know if you guys have gotten a chance to see Robert Moore. He's one of the most exciting freshman players in college baseball. The lefty? There's all, yeah, we'll say that again, sorry, bud. Is, he, is that the lefty? He is. Okay, that's that's Patrick Wicklander. Moore okay. is the son of Dane Moore, who is the uh, the general manager for the Kansas City Royals. Um, and yes, he does bat left. So that's I'm, I'm, and I think he's a switch hitter too. So that's yeah, that's who he's talking about. Um, but he's fun. Will they do it this year, man? I don't know if they can get over the hump and win it this year. Um, but I, I definitely think there's a really good chance, based on the conversations that, that I've had with Phil, that they'll be back in Omaha. Speaking of baseball, Felipe Franks throws a 95-mile-an-hour <laughs> fastball, in case you haven't heard. Have you yeah. mentally prepared, or how, I should say, how have you mentally prepared yourself for the roller coaster that is the Felipe Franks experience? So I know you wrote a, a pretty good article on him a couple weeks back, Connor, which I read. We actually talked about on the morning show because I thought it was very interesting. I saw him um, at Weston, which is a local uh, watering hole on uh, in Fayetteville on Dixon Street. And it's crazy just how big he is, guys. Like six seven, yeah. jacked, yeah. and you just you, he towers over you. And that's good because he'll be able to see over the offensive line. Hopefully, he'll be able to get his mobility back under him because I'm not sure how great this offensive line is going to be, but. This, this ride, man, it's going to be interesting. And I think Kendall Bryles, um, we've had Steve Wilfong and um, um, which Barton Simmons for 24-7, and they've talked about how important Kendall Bryles' hand is going to be in the development of Felipe Franks. Will he be an all-SEC quarterback? Probably not. Will he be potentially top eight? I hope so, because this team, if he's, if he's the erratic Felipe Franks that we saw at times at Florida, this team has no shot at winning an SEC game. He needs to be more consistent. You know that. Chris, you know that. It's it's one of those things where if it's going to happen, that's great, and Arkansas has a much better chance of winning four to five games. But if he does what he did certain times in Florida, it's going to be a wild ride that I don't think Arkansas fans are going to be too happy with by season's end. I think he's a little – he's got a little Jameis Winston in him. Um, like yep. just super yep. entertaining. He's going to make throws that just make you pull out your hair. He's going to make throws that – make you think, all right, that's a first-round prospect doing that. But it's never really a happy medium with Felipe. I'll set the over-under for Felipe Frank's interceptions at 15. What are you taking? That many? Oh, dude, I'm going below that. 15? 15. Wow. <laughs> Golly, dude, I hope it's below. If it's, There is going to be some rough Mondays at 6 a.m. if it's above 15 because we're going to have Eddie from Clarksville, Michael from Stuttgart, like all these different <laughs> local sports radio cars are just going to rip into us, rip into Felipe. Surely it's – Marlon, what are you taking? Are you, you think it's over? I'm taking – he had six. He had six two years ago. Damn all system, different though, different. Yeah. Let's say, I mean, I don't know if Sam Pippen has a system, but I'm sure the system will be like if he throws 14 interceptions in the season, he's coming out. You know what's funny? This storyline is going to be interesting. So I think Franks, regardless of what Pittman, and I actually asked Pittman straight up, is like, when's your timeline? I'm going to name a starting quarterback. Is Has Felipe been named? And he said, no. We haven't really discussed that yet. We're going to see how these guys do in the spring. When Malik Hornsby gets here in the end of May or beginning of June, I'm forgetting the date, that is going to be someone that you guys are going to want to keep an eye on moving forward. This is a highly coveted kid 
out of Texas that picked Arkansas over Baylor and some other schools. I don't know if he's going to compete for the starting job this year, but I think he's definitely going to compete with K.J. Jefferson for the backup spot. And potentially, now I don't know if you guys know, but Felipe Franks could actually apply for a medical waiver to participate Ooh. in another year after this season. So I'm, I'm curious to see if he does that, if he has a good season, decides he wants to try and play another year, because that's also something to monitor after the conclusion of the 2020 season. So um, let me just dive into my absolute uh, pettiness here. And um, there's there's a few people, I feel like, in sports media who have said dumb stuff. I've said dumb stuff, but there's a few that I've just never forgiven. Dan Wolken, uh, see yourself out. But <laughs> in 2006, Tony Kornheiser, and I've never gotten over this, Tony Kornheiser said um, he didn't know who Darren McFadden was when asked who oh. should win the Heisman and said that they should give it to Brady Quinn. And I still say that probably the biggest travesty ever uh, in the Heisman Trophy was the fact that Darren McFadden didn't win over Troy Smith, over, uh, I think because I think he finished second or third? Second and both second. Smith and Tebow. Yeah, and I get the Tebow one kind of, but that, that year, 2006, he did everything. He was the best player in the country. It's 14 years later, but but give me your best pitch as to why D-Max should have won the Heisman. So, Chris, I actually remember you tweeting out something in uh, when you were watching the SEC rerun in 2008. You said DMAC not getting the Heisman over Woodson getting over Manning was more egregious. And let me tell you something. Arkansas fans love you for that. Yeah, they, got, uh, they really responded well to that. <laughs> <laughs> he got screwed. Let's just put it, Frank. The yep. parameters that they set around the Heisman Trophy – in 2006, the reason he lost to Troy Smith by at that time was the largest differential. I think Burrow's differential was more than that after this season with the season he had. But the brand was like, you can't give it to an underclassman. We know that Darren's probably the better player and he deserves it more. And Arkansas needs him more than Troy Smith or Ohio State needs Troy Smith. But then the following year, you give it to Daniel. Yeah, completely changes. Like, no... No rhyme or reason that you just flip it. And Darren's like a really humble, down-to-earth guy, like one of the nicest athletes, former athletes you'll ever meet. And I I can't even – like this will be something that I have to explain to my kids, the fact that this guy who's probably the most electric, best player in Arkansas football history was not robbed not just once but twice of the most coveted award in college football – and it aggravates Arkansas fans to this day. Can you think about like the chip on your shoulder mentality that our Kansans already have with people having different perceptions of us and stuff? That just added to it. Like that just amplified it times a thousand when their guy, kid out of Little Rock, Oak Grove High School, was not given the award he deserved. It blows my mind to this day. And the committee Same. and everyone involved should be ashamed of how that transpired. Ty, last question here before we get you to two-minute drill. Where is there more long-term optimism right now for Arkansas fans? Is it with Sam Pittman or is it with Eric Musselman? Oh, dude, it's Muss. But they are on the Muss bus. Now, I know people weren't too fond of the loss in, in Athens on Saturday night, but you did play a kid in Anthony Edwards who has the potential to be the number one pick in this upcoming draft. But, guys, I haven't seen this much optimism and excitement about Arkansas basketball in since I've been alive. They have a top seven recruiting class coming in now. Will Wade just bumped them out because he got LSU. They just either signed or got a kid committed, and they moved up to number six. But 
Four of the five studs from in-state um, are now going to Arkansas. They've got three guys that are currently uh, sitting out this season, redshirting, that will be able to play next year. And then there's still optimism that Mason Jones and Isaiah Joe could return for next season. So, dude, like guys, at Arkansas basketball, I know you guys are really busy, but you guys are going to want to make it to Budwater Arena for a game next year if everything plays out like people think it's going to be because it's going to be fuck wild. I don't know if you saw the video of Cal getting tossed in the Kentucky oh, man. game. But that atmosphere is going to be very similar to what you see consistently next season if this team is going to be as good and a lot of as a lot of people think it's going to be. Connor doesn't like Arkansas basketball. I said it last year. Whoa, whoa, I'm kidding. not true. I'm kidding. Well, uh, I'm no, going to Fayetteville. <laughs> Give me to Fayetteville. Give me to a baseball game first, and I'll. I want to watch because I saw yeah. the the atmosphere for what it was like for that that opener and the amount of fans that showed up at that game. I was like. I was blown away. I was like, are they giving away free beer? Like, how can that many people show up for a baseball game? So, baseball, I think, has <laughs> to take precedent before basketball. But are you giving away free Chris, beer? Uh, what's that again? I said, are you giving away free beer? Um, so, here's the thing. The, you know, I, I don't know how other schools do it. I, I think Ole Miss, Swayze, they limit Ole Miss students mm-hmm. and fans, like, six beers you can bring in. There's, like, a hush-hush, don't ask, don't tell about the cooler um, allotment in, in Baumwalker Stadium where they check your coolers, but they don't say that you can have alcohol or not. So they just like they just let it slide. You can't have glass. But, guys, uh, this at, these, these games coming up at SEC play, they're going to be a lot of fun. The atmosphere at the hog pit. Like, I know you guys went to the world's largest, and nothing tops that atmosphere, but this is comparable in a sense. Like, you, you – Chris, I, I I don't know where you're at. I know Connor's in Orlando. Both of you guys need to fly to Fayetteville for a baseball weekend against a top-tier SEC opponent and experience the best venue, not only in the SEC, but in college baseball. I, I, I know Alex Fox is great. I know Swayze's great. I know Duty Noble with the renovations is nice. But you will not meet greater, more passionate baseball fans, not only in this conference, but in college baseball, than what you see in Baumwalker Stadium. Well, you've obviously never been to Corvallis, Beeves. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. No, it really, like, honestly, like, I, I, all jokes aside, because I, I know I joke around a lot, but, you know, and this isn't like a pat on the back. You brought up the thing about the, that tweet about Darren McFadden, because I was just watching, like, a replay, and I, I just found myself thinking, like, how in the hell did Darren McFadden and Felix Jones ever lose a game? Like, and, like, I, I'm pretty sure they beat Bam almost every year, but, like, they just, it seemed, like, unstoppable. But that, speaking of that point, like, y'all's fans, I didn't tag Arkansas in anything. I didn't put like a hashtag. It just like all of a sudden they were just like they were waiting on like yeah somebody else said it and just like it exploded. It was it was crazy. It's it's a crazy passionate fan base. So um, all right, we're gonna get you out of here on two minute drill. This is my favorite part of the uh, the episode. We're gonna ask you ten questions, all rapid fire questions. Say the first thing um, that comes to your mind. Uh, it's kind of like Family Feud, but but not. Okay. Does that make sense? Ready to rock. All right, here we go. First question. If you were a character in The Office, who would you be? Michael Scott. Okay. Second question. Go-to karaoke song. Uh, it's not sure we're going down scene. You guys have saw, saw how bad that was. Um, probably uh, My Own Worst Enemy by Lit. Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, okay, next question here. What state, quote-unquote, do you hate most, Oregon State or San Jose State? <laughs> 
Oregon State. I'll never forget the oh, that's rude. what they did to us. Um, all right. So uh, describe Nick Starkle with one song from Justin Bieber. Oh, man. Uh, love Yourself. Ooh, oh, that's man. nice. Wow. Dang. Shots fired. Uh, all right, next question. Better arm, Ryan Mallett or Felipe Franks? Mallet. Yeah, without a doubt. If there was a combine event for fans, what drill would you dominate? Uh, pizza eating contest. I okay. Combine. Um, I like that. That should just be I, in I, there, to be honest. <laughs> um, favorite Disney princess? Uh, princess Jasmine, for sure. Thank you. You know what? It's been like a year and a half since somebody answered that correctly. Uh, all right, there's we have three more. One correct answer. It's Princess Jasmine. No question. Without a doubt. I feel like we probably talked about that after we drank that place out of White Claws. Um, all right, next <laughs> question. Favorite Girl Scout cookies? Uh, is it Nom Noms? Nom Noms? What? Is that what they're called? No, they're called Samoas. So, uh, yeah. just bottom oh, line. That's an Oprah on that one. Um yeah, you mean tag it like the, the peanut butter ones? Um, I, dude, it, guys, it's been so long since I've eaten Girl Scout cookies, if we're being completely honest. My God, buddy bought some. Live your best life, man. I need to. I need to. I don't think Girl Scouts are hanging out of gas stations, man. That seems weird. <laughs> All right, two more questions. If you could make a new flavor for White Claw, what would it be? Oh, uh, they got mango. They got grape. Uh, peach? They don't have peach, do they? Oh, that's good. That's real good. Yeah. Um, all right. It's the last question. It's the most important one. Arkansas's first SEC win since 2017 comes against who and when? I don't know if you guys have been paying attention. I want to know if you've been paying. Drinkowitz has been talking that smack. And I think mm-hmm. that that's, there's going to be a lot of animosity in that ball game. The fact that Barry Odoms got fired from there, coming there. Ah. I think it's going to be Mizzou, fellas. I think it's, uh, I think it's Mizzou. Wow! All right. That means you're waiting an entire season for an SEC win for Arkansas. Are you ready to accept that? Connor, Chris, we've I've waited through two seasons, so like, what's the, what's another season? Like, come on. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, let me add this up real quick. Um, at least let's carry the one. That's uh, yeah, it's sixty nine points, Ty. That's a very good score. Nice. Yeah. But, thanks, man. Hey, listen, Marl, I'm a little disappointed in you. We're about four oh, God. into this interview, and I haven't gotten one bachelor question out of you. Now you know we both have an affinity it's... for that show. What's what's the deal, man? Are you, are you just saving it for? Uh, I know it, it's Rose. Is Rose Tied Roll Pocket? I'm blanking <laughs> on. Sorry, I I, so first thing. off, I'm, I've, I was like just entrenched all weekend in Love Is Blind. So I, like my thoughts were even on the Bachelor, and this season's been the worst. It's been the worst season of the Bachelor. Um, okay, I'll, I'll we'll ask one question because Connor, he's he's the man when it comes to Bachelor stuff. Um, we'll, we'll we'll extend it real quick. What? Who would you have picked, or who's who's your favorite and least favorite from the season? Is it? Is this even a question? It's not. Like that is the only wife on that show. It's not. It's not even close. Like it, there's no comparison with any other of the ladies on that show. She's the most pure. Sure. She's the most kind. She's the most real. It's Madison Pruitt. And as far as the one I don't like, it's Alea. Alea was so fake. Like whoa, the Victoria Pete. I uh, just did not like her at all. Not a fan. 
But she, yeah, she kind of honestly, that's a good point. I like that. Yeah. That's, Ride that's or fair. die. Victoria die. F is the worst too. Yeah, she's, oh, she, I, and he keeps, he keeps, like, he keeps, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm developing, like, a vein on the side of my neck right now. Like, he keeps allowing her <laughs> to do what she's doing. And I don't know if it's, like, the, the entertainment value, if ABC's like, hey, Peter, you just kind of, like, have to keep her until the end. But, like, come on! Like, it, it, it's absurd. She's, yeah, it's been uh, the worst yeah. season. Yeah, I would have gone so, with Kelly. He, Kelly would have been uh, I, my go-to for over dude, Victoria it, F or Victoria P. Absolutely, really. It's like she, she's a lawyer. She, she seems cool. Kelly, she's I would have awesome. been like Ma- Madison's my girl, but like Kelly, I would have been okay with Kelly. And I think here's my thing: if they, uh, if they end up with, sorry, I just got another call. If they, uh, if they end up with someone like if Peter ends up with someone, I hope it's Hannah Ann because I think they're more compatible. Madison deserves like her pick of the entire world. Like I, she needs like a list of every male on this earth, their qualities and stuff, and she gets she gets her pick of the litter. I don't want her to end up with Peter because he's not right for it. Let's just be honest. Let's be frank. He screwed up enough, and that's my two cents on that. I just went off into God. Time. That was great, man. We should have been doing that the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell I'm very passionate yeah. about this. Uh, very yeah, I don't care about Sam Pittman. We should have had all the questions be about that. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, I would, Ty, I would Ty, really was... become an Auburn fan for Madison. I would drop every illusion <laughs> and become an Auburn Tiger fan. I'm not. I'm, you think I'm kidding about that? War Eagle. I no, I don't. Fan. I don't. <laughs> so, Ty, this was uh, this was a lot of fun, man. We'll uh, we'll have to have you back on really, really soon. It's it seems so one sided. Like I, I'm just. I'm doing your show on a once a week basis. I felt like, you know what, we've, we we're long overdue to be able to have you on. You know, at at media days it gets a little bit busy when you guys are playing NCAA 14, you know, the video game. You guys kind of have all your idle time filled, so you can't really come do an interview, but uh, this was great. We will do it again real soon, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And I look forward to in July when you, me, and Marler and the rest of the squad are at a karaoke bar singing at the top of our lungs with a couple white claws in hand. There is nothing better than that. It is, it is soul record. It is just, it's perfect. It's harmony, boys. Love Can't it. wait, man. It's going to be awesome. Ty, we'll talk soon, man. <laughs> All right, boys. See ya. Appreciate Ty for joining the program. He's got a lot of takes about The Bachelor. I mean, a yeah. whole lot. Whole Very lot passionate. Yes, very passionate. Um, nice little plug for your Bachelor podcast. Yeah, roll, nice. Rose, Rose Tide, tide roll. roll. It's a mouthful. So I got, I've been texting this earlier. This is just kind of a funny story. Um, we got hit up by like a podcast network, like talking about adding us on, which oh, I don't nice. understand how that whole process works. It's, it honestly, they also like Pyramid Scheme, to be honest, but I, I know they're not. But uh, it's it pretty cool. So I'm like getting caught up on text yesterday, and I see this text in the, our group thread. And it was like, yeah, sounds great. Let me run it by, um, my dad wants to run it by Jimmy Sexton real quick. And I was like, what is this? And so that's, that's, that's where we're at right now. Sick podcast. Drag. My I know, right? Goodness. Was, it like woke me up. I was like, what is he? Wait Jimmy a minute. Sexton? Do you actually think that Jimmy Sexton on his list of things to do is going to be like, oh, wait, I needed to go check out that podcast that Saban's daughter is No, doing I think he's going to read the Bachelor. contract to make sure that like, that Saban's good and covered and all that kind of fun stuff. Like he's he's just gonna read the contract to make sure we're good. I would love to live so. in a world where you are on Jimmy Sexton's to do list. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Moving Same. on up, sir. 
Let's get to, oh, actually, before we get to fourth and wrong, I almost skipped right over it. I just had some Texas P two hours ago, and I almost skipped Ooh. right over it. How dare I? I like that. Yeah, speaking of how dare you, um, how dare the one person, and I'm only saying this in jest because I appreciate the follow us and are in the Facebook group, but there was one gentleman this weekend that said, there's a certain other uh, hot sauce. With, uh, it's a first. It's a man's first name. Had more flavor than Texas Pete. It, what? I, couldn't couldn't be more wrong. I don't know what kind of, that's like a Colin Coward like like NFL draft hot take. It's at the same level because it's wrong either way. Um, make sure you guys go out this week. We are into March. It is Lent season as well. So I don't know if you guys are trying to diet like me or do whatever. If you're giving up some things, one thing you don't want to give up is Texas Pete because it's the best thing you can do for yourself besides I don't know kind of what yoga. Ah, uh, yoga's pretty good. Um, meditating they say is good for mental health, but Texas Pete yeah, is right good. up there with it. Listen, I know that some people do hot yoga. So next time you're at yoga, here's what I want you to do. Bring yourself a bottle of Texas Pete because nothing's hotter, nothing's better. Um, And give yourself some flavor because I tell you what, being flexible is great. Having some flavor is way better. Uh, Make sure you get some Texas Pete today. Get the wing sauce, like I've been saying, the Texas Pete dust. It's it's about to be spring. Start grilling again. So it's perfect time. There you go. We have an alcohol-themed edition of Fourth and Wrong. Let's do the first four questions that we have on this because you got eight in here and they're all, we got some yeah. really, really Well, I'm going to answer ones. the last two or the last ones. All right, let's. let's I, you didn't like number seven? I really like number seven. Um, I don't, I'm not as seasonal because I live in Orlando. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, right, I don't, well, we don't have, it, the question was, what's your go-to beer for each season? I, I just, when you live in Orlando and like today, it's yeah. 81 degrees out. It is not oh a typical gosh. early March day. So I don't, I'm it's not raining seasonal. for like the 20th straight day in Atlanta. Sorry, thoughts and prayers to you. Let's start. Let's start with the first one here. All right. So first question, um, and I apologize. I do not have the actual names of who who wrote these. This one was by a lot of people. What's one drink or alcohol you can't drink anymore? Mine is Mad Dog Twenty Twenty uh, or MT Twenty Twenty. Really bad night in high school and threw up all over the place. Jim Beam, no Ooh. doubt about it. Jim Beam. I too many times in my junior year of college, you woke up with that just that that little lingering taste, and you're like. Why in the world did I just have that for the eighth weekend in a row? I Ooh. that hangover it just does not sit well. It you know I'm not a big tequila guy either, just because I think the the sugar that you often drink with it it just kind of drains you the next day, and you're just like your body is just oh like margaritas and stuff yeah like a margarita yeah. type hangover something like that like tequila shots whatever it is but Jim Beam is the one that has made me consistently nauseous the entire next day even if I I thought I kind of took it easy which in hindsight isn't really taking it easy but it's like college right. taking it easy I for whatever reason can't do Jim Beam anymore I've I've never liked Jim Beam and I've never understood like that's such like a southern type of Beam and ginger um also, I hate when people say I can't drink like whiskey. I can't drink whiskey because it makes me fat. Like, no, you're just an asshole. Like, just, yeah. just, just don't. <laughs> yeah, do I don't. That. Anybody that it. says, "Oh, this <laughs> alcohol does me the, like makes me do this thing, and this alcohol makes me do that thing," no, that's just 100 percent mental. Yeah, exactly. Um, mine, like, I, I would probably say Jaeger. I guess I never liked Jaeger in the Ugh. first place. It was the worst. But like when I was in college, we didn't, they didn't have Fireball, so it was like that's what people would take, and it was I never liked it. It was just the worst. I'm, I've never been a gin fan. I, I don't understand how people. Anything, oh, I like, like gin and tonic. Yeah, if, if, like I don't like tonic because there's way too many calories and it's flavorless. But also, um, anytime somebody's like, "There's a juniper berry involved in in my booze," I don't really. I just it's too much for me. All right. Um, all right, what's the worst? 
So you probably don't have an answer for this. Oh, what yes, I do, Marler. Yes, oh, I do. Oh, what's the worst blackout story you've ever been told about yourself? So I saw the comments in the Facebook group. I know I'm Two Beer Connor, but I have not always been Two Beer Connor. Let me just oh, say God. that. This feeds into the next question that we have. And by the way, this question's from Nick Halby. Shout out to our good buddy. Oh, yeah. This feeds into the worst hangover story. I don't think I've ever shared this on the podcast, but this is the this last... Is on the edge of my seat right now. This is the last day that I've truly been like this in my life. I have since dialed back drinking a very considerable amount. So my senior year of college, we were going out to... I was with my then-girlfriend, now-wife. Um, we had just been dating for like two months or something like that. And we were going out to a party at my friend's house, and then we were going to go to the bars after downtown Bloomington at Indiana. So we go to my friend's house, and you know we're having a good time, and everything's kind of normal. And then we get to we go from there to the bar, which is like a couple blocks away. And basically, like five minutes into that, I don't remember a thing that happened afterwards. <laughs> don't remember a thing. But what I do know from what I was told is that we were apparently at a bar that's like a mile away that I was at just chugging water, just nonstop chugging water. I wasn't like getting <laughs> sick or anything, but I, I just yeah. had this blank look on my face. There was a picture that surfaced on Facebook right afterwards where I don't look like I know what planet I'm on. And oh, so man. the worst part was that in the middle of being there, which I had already been there for like an hour or two, like at this other bar, I like told you know Lauren, I said, I'm like, I'm just going, I'm leaving. For no reason. I wasn't mad or anything. I'm just like, I'm leaving. Oh, that happens, yeah. Just walk out. And my place was probably like seven, eight blocks away, something like that. So it's, it's a decent walk. And it wasn't necessarily like an easy walk, especially when it's 2.33 in the morning, whatever it was. All of a sudden, I apparently called Lauren and I couldn't find my way home. And I was oh, just yeah. on the side of the road just like sitting there. And she had to come find me. And I couldn't direct her on where I was. And she came and found me apparently and took me back to my place. I slept until noon at least or one yeah. the next day. She wakes up and, and leaves. The problem was I was supposed to have dinner with her parents that Saturday Oh, night. my God. At, Who are you? At 7 p.m. I'm supposed to have dinner with them. They've. I, this was my first Didn't time meeting their par- her parents. We've been dating for two months. I love her parents to death, and we get along great, and I feel like I'd be able to tell them this that, that story today, but I don't think they know this. But it's like 6 o'clock, and I still am like barely able to get out of bed. I am just hurting, and I muster all the strength I possibly have. They're already – like they, they live in Indianapolis, so they drove you know an hour to come into town to be able to have dinner with us. And I call Lauren at like 6.30, and I, I get into the car, and I'm like, I can't guarantee I'm not going to throw up tonight. And I call her and I'm like, I can't oh, do God. it. I can't do it. And I've never felt worse in my life physically, mentally, emotionally, all those things about canceling that night because I knew how much Lauren, oh, Lauren meant to me, obviously. Yeah. That was the last time that I have ever drank that much, ever will drink that much, or anything like that. That has shaped Two Beer Connor for the last eight years, that night. Man. There's a story. Uh, yeah, I didn't take like, like very few times if there's drink involved, if you outdo me, that, that was impressive. Um, so I don't, I don't know. The, and the, again, I love this topic and I, and I know you guys, we've t- joked around about it before and I, I, I definitely have some stories. We're just still not going to, you're going to get all the B plus A minus material. Cause it's just the A, you can't, the other stuff can't be shared on here for the most part. Cause it's just, I don't think you guys understand how just over the top of a person I was in my twenties. But, um, I will say 
blackout, the, the worst blackout story. There were some things that happened in Nashville, Tennessee, the night before the Bama A&M game that I've, mm-hmm. I've referenced before. That was pretty tough. Um, there was a uh, incident where, um, you know what, this is, this is probably one of the worst ones. I remember I, I went uh, I went out one night and I went back to this girl I had dated before, but wasn't dating then. And like just we just stayed there. Like nothing happened. It was just, just there. And, uh, and I woke up the next day, like, you know, left, whatever, said bye and went to like work. And, and like it, two days later, I get this text and she's fuming. And she was like, you, you owe me $150. I just had to deep clean my entire apartment, blah, 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 this entire place. I apparently had stood up and peed into her dresser. Um, like a toilet, a dresser is. Which is not like. the first time that's happened. Oh, uh, hi. It's happened like three times. It's been the worst. Um, I guess I just thought, I don't know. Anyway, so, and then she like tried to, she like got on Pinterest to figure out like how to get that uh, the smell out. And then he, she looked up how to get out for cat pee and it made it like nine times worse. So oh. I had to pay. It was awful. It was the worst. Um, yeah, and there's some other ones too, but that's, that's probably the worst one. Uh, worst hangover story. That is so, my worst hangover story, by the way. Yeah. I want to make sure that that's known as well. Worst hangover story. I got the, the wedding that I missed in 2011. Um, or 2012, that was the week after the A&M game, mm. by the way. What a time. Um, yeah, what a time to be alive. It's all in a week span. So I got, again, really drunk one night. I got into a fight with my uh, girlfriend at the time. Slept at Whitehall Tavern, which is where we went, uh, the SEC Championship game. Slept there, like, in the bar that night. Got up the next day at Whoa. 10.30 and was supposed to be in St. Simon's for a wedding at, uh, at 4. And I woke up and... I'm in the wedding. Like, I'm in the wedding. Oh, and I've heard my, this one. Yeah. My, my phone's, like, almost dead, so I drove down there. And it was, it was, I had to pull over twice to throw up. It was one of the worst. It was, it was the worst hangover I've, I've ever had. It was awful. And then I, um, I also, my phone died, so I didn't have the directions to get there because I was just wildly irresponsible, didn't know where I was going. I drove to, like, the wrong island or something like that, and I missed the entire wedding. So that was, that was pretty bad. Also, I went to Coronado for a guy's trip in San Diego um, and went out, like, after my buddy Rich had just gotten back home from Afghanistan from second deployment. And we just, like, just, I think we started the night with, like, Rumplements and Jaeger. That's, like, the first drink of the night. Mm. Like, two shots. And then I, we played golf the next day at the, the number one public course in the country. And I threw up eight times in nine holes. It's a course record. <laughs> um, there you go. Next question. Have you ever purchased anything while really drunk? If so, what was it? No, I'm not that guy. I, what? I, I've, I've bought, like, food occasionally while drunk. You know, something like, you know, try, like, buying probably more food than I can afford at times. Um, but ne- I'm never that person. I'm always like a little bit more on the frugal side when, I, when oh, I'm when i drunk, which is just weird. But I, I, for whatever reason, maybe it's because I haven't actually, like I said, that last time that I actually blacked out was when I was in college. And yeah. since then, when I've actually had an adult job and a bank account that had more than $100 yeah. in it, I haven't been at that point in my life so that's probably why i don't have a bad drunk purchase what's yours i mean i used to my favorite one of my favorite pastimes like i'm not even gonna apologize for this i wish i still did it was uh i would get drunk like on sunday nights after a long weekend of like bartending i would get drunk and and buy stuff on etsy and it wasn't like blackout but i definitely didn't remember what i'd bought so then like (laughs) like a week or two later i would just like there'd be stuff that would show up at the house and it was like uh it was like I had a Golden Girls shirt that said, you can't sit with us, like the Mean Girls reference. I had like a bunch of Golden Girls stuff. There was like a couple, uh, there was, I mean, there were some good ones in there, like, but, but they were always, always from Etsy and always came. I was like, what in the hell did I do this for? 
like like several that were bought in like women's sizes only because they were they were like more geared like whatever the, like the the theme was more geared towards women i guess like the shows anyway um yeah that was i mean i've i've, I've bought a lot of stuff when i was drunk i don't there's a long list of things there um Let's see. I bought Toby Keith tickets one time because I thought that was a really good purchase as I was leaving a Brooks and Dunn show. Remember the um, at the Peach Bowl when you're like, is that Toby Keith? And then you went over and got yeah. a selfie with him and then you didn't take the selfie the way that you were supposed to and then he told you, hey man, you should probably take this picture again. Hey brother. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks Toby. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that list can also go like a very, very long ways. I, I bought a lot of stuff uh, done when I was drunk. Let's see. Um, we're not going to do this one. Uh, what else we got here, Connor? So this one you didn't want to do. What's the go-to beer for each season? Because you said like you're in Orlando, there's only like one season. What's your go-to summer beer? How about that? I've always been a big Blue Moon guy. Yeah, that's kind of basic. I've just been getting into um, Goose Island has this new uh, SPF beer, which is really really good. Um, it's got like it's like a dragon fruit almost, which is a nice summer beer on a hot day. Um, yeah. From, uh, you know, spent a lot of time up in Wisconsin, so Summer Shandy, Leinenkugels, this is a good summer beer as well. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of go, go all over the place. Not necessarily, like, I don't really get into too many, like, heavy beers or, like, winter beers or something like that. Even when I lived in the Midwest and lived in Nebraska, I tend to favor the more summer side of it. But yeah. Any, anything like that. I, I love Stella all year round, as you know. And PBR, yeah. of course. Um. Yeah, for each season, I don't have, like, I mean, I, lo- I actually really like winter beers. Uh, I like, um, what do you call it? I, like, I don't know if it's considered a winter beer. I like the Sam Adams winter. I love uh, Magic Hat number nine. It's probably one of my favorites. Um, let's see here. In the summer, I'm a big fan of 312. Um, That's what I yeah. yeah. Chicago. One. I like that a lot. Um, I, I like, uh, what is the one? Shinerbach. I like Shinerbach a decent amount, like spring, like going to baseball games. And I, I, honestly, like, it doesn't. I hate to sound like white trash, but it doesn't have to be like Bud Light or Coors Light or whatever. I don't like Miller Light. Miller Light's garbage. But um, like just like a light beer at a baseball game, that's that's like my favorite. That's the best. Nothing like a, um, a Budweiser to Cubs game, man. That is as good as it gets right there. Uh, okay, we have two more here. We'll do it really quick. If you described yourself as one alcohol, what would it, one alcohol? What would it be? I mean, is that saying like beer? If, gin, if you were a beer, which, what would you be? I'm going to stick with Stella. I'm going to stick with Stella because I am just nice enough that I can go to places and not embarrass myself, but yeah. I'm, I'm not that person that's like hoity-toity or stuck up. At the root of it, I'm still a light beer at heart, but yeah. you can put me in like a classier glass and make it look like I'm a little bit better than I am, that's, then, then you're able to get away so with spot that. On. I've, I've never enjoyed Stella just because it's just it's like, it's like I've always said Amstel Light is strip club Bud Light. Stella is just it's like Bud Light for people that that spell shop with with a like S H O P P E. But like, you know the you feeling. Know you know the feeling of when you're at a nicer restaurant or something like that. And you're yeah. like, all I'll I want is a, a beer. All I want is a beer right now. If you're at a wedding or something like that, you're like I just want a beer. I don't necessarily want a cocktail. I don't want just you know something on you know Wells or something like that. Just give me a beer that you can put in a, a nicer glass and I can drink yeah. casually and it's going to drink the same way that like a PBR does. That's Stella for That's me. Fair. Um, I would say, I mean, honestly, I would say either Magic Hat number nine, because it's like, it's when it's best. Uh, I'm trying to think. I, I just like that. That was my number for baseball. So maybe, um, I don't, I don't like pumpkin beers at all. Like at all, at all. But I would say Oktoberfest with Sam Adams, maybe it's a good one to describe it because that's, I'm at my peak. I feel like in college football season. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So you are that. a fall beer. Um, 
Yeah, there you go. And then, okay, these are, I guess, I, I'll answer these since they were for bartending stuff. Uh, what's the worst drink to order that uh, pissed you off as a bartender? It's a mojito, hands down. Yeah, I already know like, that. It's, it's not, yeah. even, not even close. If you also ordered, if you asked for anything frozen or ice in like a Riesling or Moscato, like we're not going to be friends. I can't, can't deal with that. Um, most pretentious and annoying drink that someone could order ever at a bar. I, I really, people used to bring their own wine in all the time. Mm, which would like which you can do in Atlanta it's fine if it's like a nice bottle if it's like some anniversary or whatever but then people would do it and just like if you're drinking if you're drinking like barefoot at like Houston's like that's not that's not great that's yeah not we ideal. totally don't have um, a bottle of barefoot in our fridge right now not no. at all no. uh, do you yeah um but I mean, if you wouldn't bring that out to like a restaurant that no no that doesn't that, leave home the one for me, I would say more than anything, is when people order Long Island iced teas, it, it like, step by step is, they prove to be the worst people imaginable because it's like, you only want it because you think it has the most alcohol. It still only has two ounces. But almost every person that asks for a Long Island iced tea has a follow-up question which is like, like, how strong is it? Like, like light ice. Make it light ice so it's extra strong. Like, no, sir. You're just going to pay for the amount of alcohol that I'm supposed to make in the drink. It's the, anyway, raccoons, the, it's the raccoons of alcohol. Yeah, just, just you know what we're gonna do at some is. point. We're gonna we have like a real actual like meetup. I'll I'll tell some of the actual story stories. Yeah, uh, I've the, heard some the audience. They're, they're good. They're really good. God. All right, let's end with it. Might mean too much. Caleb on Chasen told the story of Cocho's recruiting. This was great. In case you missed it, uh, Caleb on Chasen when he was a recruit was considered a Texas lean. He's a Texas kid. Um, he was apparently going to be going there with the newly hired Tom Herman. Ironically enough. But he was flying out to Florida on an official visit, and that was the plan that day. Cocho got to his house at 4 a.m. and knocked on the door while everybody's asleep, and this was the quote via Pro Football Talk. So Caleb Vaughn said, um, I was like, Coach, I don't have time for a home visit. We're about to head out. Man, he came to my house at 4 in the morning, knocking on the door while everybody's asleep. He made sure he got his visit in. He literally followed me to the airport and walked me all the way through TSA and was like, bro, we've got to have you. Please, I know what to do with you. Cocho was right, and it worked. Can't hate. Wow. Can't hate. That is, when we talk about the difference of... A lot of people are wondering what, what makes a, a good recruiter great or something like that. Have we made too big of a deal of, of Coach O and how he appeals to players? It's stuff like that that kind of sticks yeah. out that ultimately is is what you know makes the difference in, in cases like this with hotly contested recruiting wars. All right. Yeah, agreed. That was Let's good. Close out. That was a good episode. We did a lot. A lot of alcohol talking this week. It's about food and booze, man. That's yeah. a, I always that's that is a fun that's a fun topic. Yeah. If you have not listened to It Just Meant More, please, please go do that. Save it maybe for your next long drive or something like that. Yeah. I had a lot of fun putting it together. TBD on what the next game is going to be for that. Facebook Live. We're doing Monday nights. Monday nights before the Bachelor. Seven That's seven thirty and then uh Saturday at eleven thirty for the Bet Online College Basketball. Uh, previews. There we go. Six and two last weekend. Gonna follow yeah. up with undefeated weekend, hopefully. God, I hope so. Make sure you're following us on all forms of social media so you can compliment Marler on his great graphics that he stays up all night putting together for the combine. People are the uh, worst. Follow, follow us on Instagram, Saturday Down South. Follow us on Twitter at the SDS Pod, at Vern Funquist, at CJ O'Gara, at SDS, at SEC Football. Follow all of our great content, SaturdayDownSouth.com. Marler, Coach O, Caleb on Chasen. Um, any a- anybody that we have talked about in this here podcast, uh, Madison from The Bachelor. What do we need to remember? Bye. Talk to you guys soon.